Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I'm your host, Matterall. Today, we're going to review 2018 with some very key players for this year. We're going to have the most influential, voted by TIS staff, the most influential player, Pandoralica. We'll meet him in just a second. We have most influential organization, which is TEST, and we'll meet Billy, one of their leaders, in just a second. We're also going to go through the year and talk about all the events that happened with these guys who were key decision makers during the year. First, I want to make a couple of announcements. One is that this is going to be the last show that we do on INN for the last two years. Actually, since the beginning, Talking Stations have been a part of the uh, Imperium News. We are moving on to try to control the video a bit better and, and be able to replay shows and stuff like that. And to do all that, we need to move to our own channel. So we're still in a good relationship with INN, but we're going to start broadcasting these shows on Talking In Stations Twitch. And we'll be moving them to YouTube as quickly as possible, maybe just a few hours after the show. Uh, that would be a lot faster than we've been able to do it on INN. We're also going to do some other things for you. TIS will be changing. We'll be sending out some newsletters type things to your mailbox if that's what you want. So we'll be firing up a mailing list in game and out of game as well. And that way you don't have to travel to uh, any news site or look at Reddit if you want to catch up on what's going on in EVE. Very, very basic general strokes, a few mails a week, that kind of thing. So we'll see. Also at this point, and I'll repeat this at the end of the broadcast if I remember. We want to make sure that TIS is um, growing, you know, like Eve, you, if you're standing still, you're just slowly dying. So we need to be growing and doing new things and making it exciting to keep people interested in doing the show. Uh, to do that, we need contributions. So please go to talkinginstations.com and contribute to the program so you can keep it going and, and we can keep growing and keep, you know, keep us interested in doing this sort of thing. Thank you very much. Now, another announcement I'd like to make is uh, not a usual type of announcement we make, but it is just so tragic that we lost an EVE player just a few days ago after Christmas on the 28th, Luke Batters. Uh, he's from England, plays a character, Diana Serene, and they're from the Volition cult. And uh, it's, this is particularly sad because he and his father used to play EVE together, and his father eloquently wrote about him and there's a GoFundMe page, which you can find. We'll post it in the, in the show notes and I'll post it in chat. And it just reminds you that this terrible game we play is something that brings people together, including fathers and sons and that kind of, uh, anything that interrupts that kind of relationship is just super tragic and we're very sorry that happened. Uh, but again, I bring it up because um, GoFundMe to help with some expenses was funded like within three hours. I imagine a lot of that was real life friends as well. But it's nice to see EVE players always come up and really show the best of what EVE is about. And that is the su supportive community uh, that cares about each other and that sort of a thing. So again, not something we talk about, but I'm, I'm starting to think, and I've had some talks with other people, that maybe um, there should be a place for for preserving the memory of some of these players that have fallen and uh, you know, we'll think of what we can do to, to make that happen. And maybe we'll have just a, a simple gesture and have a site, a, a page on talkinginstations.com that serves as a memorial where people can tell some of the stories the players did while they were with us. 
Uh, our condolences to Volition Colts and the loss of their member, Diane Serene. There are certainly going to be memorials with uh, Sinos and stuff. Join them when you can. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So let's let's actually uh, switch gears here. And uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about one thing before we really get started. But uh, first, here's the introductions. I want to say hello to Pando. How are you doing? Hey, hey. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Pando is uh, one of the FCs for the initiative. And uh, uh, he is also selected as our most influential individual for 2018. And we'll get into why as we go through the year. Uh, I also want to say hello to Vili. How are you doing, Vili? Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Vili is uh, also an FC, very well known to most of the fans of this show. And he is one of the leaders of TEST and the, one of the key individuals that has really brought it back to life and had... I think what is a stunning year in 2018. We'll talk about how that happened as well. Uh, also rounding out, we have um, from NC, somebody who's very familiar to the show, Killer B, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. Great, thanks for joining us. Um, also a key player during the year, doing a lot of, uh, a huge amount of fighting uh, early in the year when uh, the biggest battles were going on. So this is great. We have some some great people lined up for a review of the sh of the year, and uh, I'm I'm going to sit in and be a big fan boy too, and uh, listen in as these guys talk about what happened last year. All right, um, but first, there's one thing I want to talk about, and that is something that we're in the middle of, and that is the injector booster craze. And I don't know if you're a part of it. It seems to be an expensive thing to get involved with, but wow, is it worth it? Um, as you know, there is a booster that's gone out as a gift. And if you use it, you're allowed to put a full three skill injectors on a character, regardless of what experience they have. And this is something very rare, because normally you have to lose a lot of experience to uh, to these injectors when you get to be too high uh, an experienced character. Well, this is bypassing it, and you can do it every 16 hours, which I have been, uh, on four characters. Uh, and uh, you can imagine it's a lot of injectors and a lot of boosting. Uh, a couple key significant points to this. One, the boosters didn't cost anywhere near what I thought they would cost. So people are just dumping them. I thought they would be, I thought they would be like two or one to two billion, and they're actually like fifty million. So, um, you know, apologies. <laughs> I hope nobody else took a bath on it. I certainly did, but the. Um, the good news is that they are working as we suspected they would work. And so every 16 hours, uh, I'm boosting, uh, putting experience into characters and banking it. So that experience can sit there and wait for some kind of, you know, use down the road. Now, um, let me bring these guys in. Billy, you were talking about how this has been a boon for your business, right? Since you uh, are in perimeter with a, a tax haven there. Yes, the uh, Tranquility Trading Corporation is currently in control of the perimeter market, which is the primary trading place of your favorite skill injectors. We fully encourage everybody to come on over and <laughs> buy uh, up your injectors today. Uh, use discount code TEST is awesome, and you will uh, receive an extra 0.1% off your tax. <laughs> wow, 0.1% is that for real? No. If if there was a way I could actually give you a discount, we I'm sure we would, but like 
There's no mechanic that I'm tracking currently. That there should can. be a, a way to introduce like discount codes or whatever. The discount. Oh, it'd be so awesome. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Uh, it actually would save people some money because these things, uh, you know, the boosters didn't get expensive, but these other things, the injectors, have gone up to record highs. So if you wanted to buy skills now, is the worst time. They're at eight hundred and sixty seventy million per injector. So you can imagine that's a uh, a ton of money. It's like 180 more than uh, they were what a month ago. So, yeah, it's a steep incline. So that's that's interesting because I um, I knew they would go up. I I thought that there were so many skill farmers sitting on them that they would just uh, you know maintain supply and kind of keep it down. But I uh, I actually redid all my math the other day based on all of the actual things that you can do for skill farming. And actually, injector prices have not been lower than they should have been. So the they've and they're tracking now with Plex again pretty well. Uh, they've been just floating around a lot. A lot of it's just been cheap Plex, and that went up a lot with this event and in anticipation of this event. We that's the thing everyone's sort of not been talking too much about has been that track from three million to three point three ish, and then it's kind of leveled back down a little bit. Uh, so that is Opner Dresden, and he is now in NC, but former DCU, which would be the drone regions. How are you, Opner? Thanks for coming. I am good. Sorry, I spaced. I thought we were getting on at like nine West Coast. Uh, that's okay. The time shifts around. We'll get that uh, nailed down. But yeah, so are you participating, Opner? In the uh, the injector, only as a seller. Uh, I I decided to wave off on this one. I'm hoping CCP makes this more of a routine giveaway. Well, that's one of the complaints is this does the exact opposite of what uh, the diminishing returns on injectors were supposed to do. In other words, if you're a new player, you get the full benefit of injecting experience points or uh, skill points. But if you're an, a veteran player, you get only a fraction, 20, 30% of the experience, sorry, uh, the SP, the skill points. Not even. Or yeah, 150,000 out of 500. So it's really meant to kind of let people catch up to the players who've been around for 10 years. I think there's a counter argument there that uh, most of the players that got their 80 million uh, were well on their way or already there when skill injectors became a thing. So it's not like we designed around it. And I have seen younger players who have been in an advantage where they injected themselves in much more strategically and got just a huge, not just a huge time savings, but a huge focus savings in that they were able to skip around a bunch of off trains. So there's something to be said for, hey, I want to diversify this character a little bit. Here's, you know, a seasonal event. I agree that removing it entirely might be bad for the, the mechanics of the game. And this, in fact, might be a bad idea for the game at all. But once they pulled that trigger, now it's kind of there. If they make it a one-time thing, it seems sort of a waste. Personally, I'd love to see these as an AT prize because I think it fits into the vein of the AT. Uh, and I think it's something to reward players for doing that sort of thing. Hmm. But that's one of those things where I think there are game systems that we utilize where these could be more focusedly used uh, in a way for a reward. Um, what do you other veterans think of these things? Are they a waste? Are you guys just cashing in? What's going on? I'm uh, cautiously... Uh, viewing these things as much as I believe I think it's actually a good opportunity to give 
long-term players the ability to inject a little bit at full capacity, I do not think it's a positive thing overall. I think most of the players that are are in the in the area where diminishing returns really comes into effect shouldn't be in the position to further inject. I I think it's great that, that you know they can do you know three or five million SP. That's fine, whatever. But once you start creating a situation where they can plug in twenty or thirty or forty million SP, I I be, I, I start to worry that that becomes a situation where you're going to have a lot of people uh, with extremely older characters that are just going to get a free ride to go even further up the chain. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a positive thing in that regard. A little bit, sure, yeah. You know, somebody needs, uh, you know, it, he, he, the the last uh, commenter is right there in that it, it, it has been a situation where older characters have been on kind of the bad end of certain things where if I need to train up my combat all number four for a Rourke, well, well, my combat L number four already has 140 million SP, so it's going to be the standard five or six month train to do so. Uh, and, and I think that's fair to a degree, but it, it is nice to finally have a little bit of an opportunity to speed that up. That being said, I don't necessarily think that should be the norm. I definitely think at this price point, it's a horrible thing. Uh, if it, it needs to have the expense in there somehow. And if we can transfer that wealth from older players to newer players, I think that might be a healthier thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it doesn't even have that much influence, to be honest. I don't think it's it's that big of a deal. You know, the game needs uh, people in space, undocking, doing stuff, and uh, if people do it with more or less skill points, it doesn't even matter that much. I think it's uh, it's not that big of an issue, positive or negative. My worry is that it just goes towards pay to win further and further kind of thing. Uh, as far as injectors currently stand. They're very much a situation where you can help catch up newer players with older players to pay to win a little bit. But with this situation, it's literally just you know older players and especially richer older players in a situation where they can pay to further grow their skill set, which allows them to outcompete uh, younger players. I think somebody was mentioning uh, there's a few people who are in the forums talking about this, which is really interesting. The guy made a video to explain why he thought it was a bad idea, which is pretty good. I forget his name at the moment, but you can check that out. Um, and one of the things was it, it, and this is the point that I made, it's allowing me to clean up alts, you know, make them a lot more focused. And it's also allowing me to merge some of those alts back into mains. So I could play with less accounts. And so maybe this is counterproductive in the long run. You know, along that line, maybe something that might be better uh, would be a, an SP reset, you know, something like being able to reallocate, uh, 10 or 20 million SP uh, into your unallocated pool. And that might be something that maintains that lack of ability to progress further, but lets you reshape around game changes that have come over your time. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, you know, there, there may be other issues to that. Oh, well, last thing on this, the, uh, the price injectors were so high. I thought, well, I, <laughs> you know, like you go to the, uh, um, I'm kind of leaning towards vegetarians. So this is a bad example, but you know, you go to the meat market and you're like, oh, this, the price of steak is too high. I think I'll buy a cow with a neighbor and then we'll make our own steaks. So I went to the character bazaar to find my own SP zombie that I could extract a bunch of SP from. And I ran into two scams immediately. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's the best way to continue. Um, you know, find, uh, find a friend or something, but the bazaar is, is a total like, 
um, I don't know. If a, there's a deal that's pretty good, it's actually too good to be true. Uh, and then the people selling characters that are legit are really focused, so they're overpricing them for the skill points anyway. Uh, that said, CCP is all over it, and they refunded money to me quickly, and uh, and um, they're all on top of that whole market. So yeah, the bizarre. If you're scamming on the bizarre, you're going to get yourself banned real quick. CCP doesn't yeah. mess around with that stuff. Yeah, they got to preserve the integrity of it, so they're blasting people left and right. Uh, well, are people actually banned, or is oh just... yeah, it's like an auto ban if you like try to scam on the character bizarre. Well, that makes sense. It's an auto ban for you and everything you own. Like you're you're not coming back. All your all your accounts are banned completely. Yeah. So if you're actually thinking of doing a scam, don't. Uh, Character Bazaar is like a, a sanctuary from CCP, and they will mess you up if you if you try to scam people there. To, to, to talk to your guy in chat, like the scams on the Character Bazaar, like th there's no way to tell them because the only difference between a scam and a legit sale is that the scammer just doesn't. Uh, sell you the character like they stop at one of the processes after you give them the money that's why it's such a protected uh, situation and why ccp doesn't mess around because you know if if people just all of a sudden it's like okay i've sent money send character now and you're like no nope, i'm not going to send you the character and then you know like there, there's no way to know that's the scam so you know ccp is in a position where it has to be uh, a protected situation they, they will uh, auto ban in anyone who messes with the character bizarre pretty instantly usually yeah, they're fast. I was I was really amazed at how fast they really cracked down on it. Well, Eve's a game where you're allowed to scam in 90% of situations. So if you're dumb enough to try and scam in the 10% where you're not allowed to scam, good luck, you know. Plus, it's one of those things where it's in line. There's real money transactions going on a lot of the time with it. Oh, yeah. Fraud, obviously, and, you know, real life uh, legal implications. So there's there's a ton of reasons, and it's technically out of game, right? This is a, a very next level up thing. Like you're not doing any operations in a client; you're literally just doing account maintenance on yourself. So it's it's not an area where they can just be like, "Oh no, go do what you want." Yeah, that doesn't. It wouldn't be a thing. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of interpretation or even. Uh, I mean, the law just comes down and gets everybody sorted, and the people who uh, try to scam are gone. Like immediately, all their characters. I remember before skill injectors were a thing, uh, before Rise's post on them, they talked about maybe doing an in-game client for character transfers. And then if that were a thing, I think there'd be an argument to be made for. Yeah, it, creative marketing would be an allowable thing so long as the in-game client mechanics were like really solid and everything was clear. But you, if you told someone they were getting, you know, a hundred million SP tune and they got a twenty million one, and they didn't look at the actual sheet, okay. But that didn't happen, so instead we got skill injectors. So as I said, um, I've been doing that on four characters. I've uh... I'm about halfway. I've timed it so every 16 hours works. You know, there's one injection at midnight, one injection at eight in the morning, one injection at four. And it's that cycle is livable, right? Because you can sleep between the two cycles. But um, it does cost a lot of money. And uh, I was wrong on my, my calculations. You, you can get a maximum of 36, I believe it's 36 million uh, on each character that you do this for. So it is a big boon um, for, and this is all bankable, right? So if new stuff comes out, you'll have the SP to get right into it, you know, and that sort of thing. I don't think, as Pando said, it's going to be a game changer for most people. 
Uh, but it is an awfully nice gift for veterans uh, at a time when the company is in transition, right, to a new owner. And so it seems like it's a nice little uh, giveaway to people who've been here a long time and been loyal for a long time. All right. Oh, and last thing I wanted to ask, Vili, is uh, this good for business there? You have your new uh, Keepstar up and around Jita, and this is where most of the transactions are happening. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Business is booming. We appreciate all the work CCP is doing to make sure that we not only we, we've well past paid for the Keepstar, um, but we, you know, we're into our second or third Keepstar now. This is, wow. this is awesome. Well done, CCP. Really love your uh, initiative to make us money. Well, it's your initiative to capture a high sec market, uh, and it's um, and it's a mechanic that CCP hasn't really nerfed, right? It's allowing you to to skirt the in-game taxes uh, as a player, as a player organization. So, yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, if you buy at the Tranquility Trading Tower, you're paying 0.3 percent tax instead of three percent tax. So everything you buy, comparatively to Jita, it should be about 2.7 percent cheaper. Which, when you're talking about things that are in the scale of multiple billions of isk you know that adds up pretty quick and especially if you're a trader that adds up you know even more effectively when you're cycling through your inventory of multiple billions multiple times a day so it's it's one of those things where uh controlling the market allows you to really or utilizing the market allows you to make uh, gains that you would not be able to make otherwise wild all right. Well, that was one of many tests, uh, great acts this year. Um, but let's start with Pando. Uh, thanks for coming, Pando. Uh, can you tell us um, where you were in January of last year? What were you guys were up to? Um, if I have to think back January, I'm not exactly sure. I think we were just keeping activity high, just maintaining activity and then uh, you know waiting for the for the next big thing to do we weren't particularly uh, active in any of the um, you know war scenes i think i'm not sure actually what exactly did we do in january i think you were um well when did you snag mc's that was october right of the year before you guys snagged a a, a keep star that was unanchoring you blew up the freighter that was trying to take it away and then in January, you guys were probably um, poking around pure blind area, if anything, um, yep. when Horde was still there. Horde used to occupy that area. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the goon SIGs were coming up and uh, raiding that area. Now, I don't know if you were raiding first or, or the SIGs were, but that was kind of what was going on there until 9-TAC-4, which was actually pretty early January. Yeah, I think so... When Horde was still around, we missed them very much because they're always like great for activity, not only for Horde and themselves, but like a lot of groups uh, actually go there and try to get uh, some fights. So you, you can always find something around Horde, uh, you know, to shoot. And uh, yeah, we were probably just poking them here and there. We didn't over farm them or anything. We didn't like constantly drop into their care bear pockets. We did it here and there. I'm not sure we. Uh, if we dread bombed them in January or like at the beginning of the year, we probably did here and there, but we didn't go overboard with it. Like we didn't make an effort to crush them or anything. Right. You try to keep it going. Yeah. And then we like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure when SV deployed might've been not January, but maybe uh, like a couple of months later. 
few months ago. SV is Space yeah, Violence. SV is space Violence, yeah. They're led by uh, Kenda, for those who don't know. And um, uh, Reavers also followed up soon after that, I think. And then we tried to help them as good as we could, especially at the beginning. It was a little bit tough because those fights are quickly, like, you know, it's cruiser-sized stuff. So if the fight kicks off, you have maybe 10 minutes to get there. And then for us, it would have been like a couple gate jumps, a Titan jump, maybe another, you know, a handful of gate jumps. So that's already too much. So you, a lot of um, fights were missed, actually. That was your area, wasn't it? Fountain, just above Fountain. Um, the Goonstorm would have had to have gone through your territory. It's your territory, you know, you guys share the territory, but up to the area. Uh, what were you guys? Uh, what were you guys thinking when the those kind of skirmishes were going on up there in the north? Did you think it was going to open up to something bigger? Uh, actually, at the beginning, like it wasn't. I I'm not sure if that was actually the big plan to weaken them so much uh, to actually start something bigger. But uh, there certainly was that thought. Like, let's see what's happen what's happening, and that's what we did first, right? So we stayed in JFAC. And that's in fountain see what's happening and then you know if there's a good opportunity we're gonna go and, and do stuff but yeah our reaction was just like yeah great there's a couple of good fights so let's let's have some fun that's all we focused on uh killer b the before nine tech four you were up um in nc i believe you'd made the transition by then right to uh yeah i done NC in november uh 2018 mm -hmm. or 2017 rather were you keeping so, your eye yes. on on pure blind? At the time we were do deployed down. Uh, we when I joined, uh, I I joined from PL to NC. We were both deployed down to Curse, and we were messing with catch stuff from test mostly. And well, we were actually kind of so this whole thing started up with PL deploying down to Curse in early 2017 or like mid 2017, sometime around. I actually can't remember exactly when PL deployed. We basically started messing with everybody in the area, which at the time it was Brave, it was Pravi, it was, uh, it was, you know, um, what's it called? Legacy it was like Tess and, and FCON as well back then. So we just kind of started messing around with everybody around us. And then timers got bigger and bigger and PL was struggling to fight the big timers on their own. So uh, NC dot deployed down as well to assist. And that's basically when I swapped because obviously it's very convenient when you're staging uh, when when your new alliance is staging one jump from your old alliance. So I literally just put all my shit in my carrier, jump to another citadel, and I was done moving pretty much. Uh, and yeah, we were just kind of messing around with everybody around Curse at the time, and we started to uh, I think put some more pressure onto Provi specifically at the time. Uh, so we weren't particularly worried about um, uh, Pure Blind and Fate at that time because we were. Obviously, coordinating and talking to Horde and GUTG, who uh, pretty much told us, "Yeah, we can handle this on our own uh, for now." So we, you know, we put our faith in them. We told them, "Okay, if you guys got the situation up there under control, we're going to continue to do stuff down here." And that's pretty much what we did. Opner, what was going on with you guys in January? Where were you, and what was going on? Uh, we were DCU was celebrating like the the upswing right after uh, Russian New Year. And then uh, we were kind of trying to push through and we started trying to reinforce Tri's Keepstar, which they are making like an annual tradition of losing a Keepstar uh, during the holidays, I guess, in C-Tech-J. 
Oh, actually, they lost was, another one recently. Yeah, I think it was next door actually, but uh, it's uh, that that was kind of the high point, I guess, for DCU during the war. And then uh, I left DCU fe- or February first, I think, was the actual day, because that war wrapped up and we we saw writing on the wall and decided it was time for a new change of scene. I always thought that was interesting. You guys ended up winning against um, DCU's drone control unit, part of uh, the drone regions. They ended up winning against Tri, Triumvirate. But right after that, they uh, they kind of lost the war. Or I wouldn't say lost the war, but they disbanded. Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of people stuck around long enough to push through and then started making their exits, like me. Um, I think I was the first in that domino. I didn't expect a lot of people to do it, but people had talked about it. Uh, and just a lot of people in especially the English-speaking side, came to drones to rebuild or it was supposed to be like a temporary thing. Uh, I think, thinking back, like Boss with Star Frontiers, they were one of the few groups that came there with the intention of like setting up for a long-term thing. The rest of us kind of came there as like, well, it's something to do, it's space to have, and it's a place to get some misc. And it became more after a little while. And then by the end of it, we all just wanted to transition to a different part of the game. So even uh, Boss with the same thing, they, you know, folded up and went to test uh, long or right at the opening of the war because they wanted to do that transition too. Who, who was making it hard on you? Is it Hard Knox? Hard Knox had the most, I think, long-lasting effect because they started first from the north. They put, they kept the most consistent pressure. Uh, I have a, a big feeling that the, that whole war was all about consistent pressure from all sides. Uh, so Hard Knox started in the north, Volta in the center. Uh, and then skill you pushing from the south was sort of the final thing that made drone lands really unappetizing for people to live in and started making me wonder what they were going to have at the end of the war. Because even winning, like there was no there was no solid, cohesive effort to be like, oh, well, we're going to actually clean out drone lands. Because it was it was that would have been an insurmountable task to try to tell people like, hey, no, you guys just fought six months trying to defend, you know, the southern southeastern half of uh, New Eden. Now you're going to have to grind through a whole bunch of stuff from people that don't really care about their space in any effective way. So you can't really force them into bad fights. Um, that there was no motivation there for that. So let me move down to uh, Vili, who's in catch at this point. And PL is, uh, I don't know if they're attacking you. There was a huge dread fight. Uh, I remember that. And you gave a rousing speech. I think that's captured on video somewhere. Vili, what was going on in with March, you guys in yeah. January? Oh, it was March. Oh, it was much later. Okay. Yeah, so in uh, December, we had just finally anchored our U-Q Keepstar, which was the first, or well, technically the second test Keepstar ever at the time. Um, how things have changed now, obviously, <laughs> LOL. But, uh, you know, it was a pretty big uh, milestone in kind of our catch defense uh, plans. And, uh, we had just restaged to UQ right after uh, fully. Uh, we were basically cutting off PL's deployment in Curse into Catch. So basically what happens is you go through the uh, UQ to what gate is it? Uh, Jamunda? No, it's... Um, no, it's somewhere else, yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I can't remember what the what the hell the system is called now, which is crazy considering how many times I've gone through that gate. But um, basically, like, it's the, it's the regional gate from Curse into Catch that UQ keeps ours directly on. So anytime, so, oh, anytime shit. oh shit, oh shit, yes, oh shit, thank you. And um, 
it's O S H T or Tech T or something. They call it. O-T-T. Yeah, it's You're literally right. oh shit, you know. Um, so we got off their uh, entrance into catch, prevented a lot of their harassment opportunities. Um, we had a Fortazar in Oshit, which was on the other side of the gate that they harassed quite a bit. Uh, I remember defending that every week for, I think, four or five weeks. Um, that was when they were really pushing hard with the Boosh Rocks, and we were getting uh, practice at fighting those. Around that time, we were also in the process of clearing out all the catch, uh, I guess you would call them troll citadels, as well as starting to make some progress in, I guess you would call it, Western Amencia trying to clear up uh, some of the old Red Alliance space as Red Alliance was uh, just starting to uh, reconquer some of the FCON stuff and we were interested in uh, taking it from them. There were some good fights there. I liked those. Some of them were really good with Red Alliance and uh, and you guys. So I, I think the first big thing that happens in January is that uh, all at once the Imperium decides they're going to attack this horde keep star that was just too far out from the rest of the north uh, and that is in 9 tech 4 RP2 uh, I believe that's cloud ring it's not even pure blind so that was a huge fight uh, as you know um, that's the one where it was coined the million dollar fight possibility by Pro God Legend, and it attracted a ton of audience. We took it live, and uh, I think Vili was kind enough to tell us what was going on on screen as the Imperium assaulted this uh, this Keepstar. And we had 12,500 viewers on, which is a lot for EVE Online, um, live for like six, seven, eight hours. So it was a big, big deal. And uh, Killaby, you were one of the FCs involved in that fight. Um, can you put that in perspective for us? Well, it was interesting because... This was sort of like post um, Hakonan deployment in 2017, which was basically um, after after 2016, uh, goons kind of went to Delve. They started building up their industry, their economy and everything in Delve. And the main objective of the, the northern leadership at the time was basically to, uh, you know, keep them contained in Delve and not allowing them to project power outside of it. And then the Hakonan deployment yeah. happened in, in some summer 2017, right? And uh, the Hakonan deployment was the first big um, Imperium deployment after uh, 2016, after World War B or the Casino War. And um, that Hakonan deployment failed pretty miserably, uh, miser- miserably, but um, goons learned a lot from it. And they tried to use what they've learned in that deployment and test new stuff. And the the, the assault on 9 Tech 4 was the first major push after the deployment. So it was a very interesting uh, situation in that perspective because they went all out on it too. Uh, you know, they started hitting stuff. They deployed their supers up. They deployed their Titans up. This was the first time that had ever happened. And it was the first time we sort of saw the results of their, you know, in, uh, insane economy that they've been building up in Delft. There were quite some people in the Northern leadership that have underestimated the um value of an economy like that by a lot and they were like yeah but you know all, the, all that ore is going to do them any good because they can't project power outside of delve and then nine take four happened everybody was like oh shit they are now projecting power outside of delve we were able to shut that down um i think it was a mix of the like our strategy obviously at at the point i'm not sure that had anyone ever really assaulted a keepsa like that before I think at the time the the main strategy the the main strategy that goons tried was using their fighters to kill the keepstar by deploying a fortizar 1k off the keepstar and then sending the fighters down 
um, which was the main strategy that most people used at the time to assault Keepsters. It's what we used in MTECO, and uh, that's what goons tried to use. But that strategy turned out to be ineffective uh, because of the tie-dye, because of just the way you know drones affect the server and, and the server spaghetti in general. So the whole assault on 9Tech4 didn't really work out for goons the way they wanted. But again, they did learn a lot from it. And obviously, now everybody assaults um, Keepstars with, if they can, they assault it with just Titans because there's effectively no way to stop the DPS on a Keepstar if you just put like, you know, 10 long range Titans on it whatever, uh, or whatever. So um, it was a big learning experience for them uh, and for us as well. And then they used that knowledge as well um, that they gained from 9Tech4 and from the Hakonan deployment. Uh, the Imperium kind of gathered all that knowledge and they used that on their most recent assault on the North, which we'll probably talk about later. But uh, obviously they managed to translate all that. They've, they've learned into, uh, yeah, into some very good strategies that they've used against us and that proved to be pretty successful. Anybody else in that fight want to comment on it? Well, I was there. I wasn't uh, seeing, but uh, yeah, it was a shit show with the, with the fighters. It was just a fucking mess. A um, little bit sad, was hyped to no end, obviously, and then uh, it turned out to be uh, this, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? I don't know, underwhelming kind of experience. Nothing even died, right? If you if you think about it, not even not even the attackers. Like, yes, the keeps that didn't die, but also the attacking force uh, didn't like n nothing impactful really happened. If you know what I mean. But yeah, we gained experience uh, on the Imperium side, definitely. Not initially, but uh, well, one thing outside of the game, it did become the biggest battle in video game history. So it got into the Guinness Book of World's Record in that way. Yeah, but that's just you look like honestly, okay, this whole like biggest battle, it's just it's just literally just PR for CCP. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter. I just mean that's what happened outside the game, but inside the game, Horde. I think uh, made plans to leave the area after that fight, and they were trying to get that Keepstar out for a while, right? No, they uh, the plans to leave were before the fight. Oh, really? Yeah, that was that was well intentioned. Uh, they were unanchoring it specifically to move to Gemini. And I think Panda was keeping them. Were you keeping them locked down? Well, once we refted together with Asha, Asha was very determined, like. He took that thing personally, I think, a little bit, and uh, it shows his character. Right? He's not, you know, hiding uh, because he he failed once. You know, he's looking at like, how do we get back at them? So we refted together with Asher once uh, to just keep it from unanchoring, and then uh, it's it's not that easy if you like. We basically knew we're not going to kill it, but we're just going to delay it. And uh, obviously, there was you know, it was time critical for Horde to probably they wanted to deploy at a certain time and we kept that from happening and then uh, i had to ref it once on my own because i there was actually a misunderstanding i thought like goons are bringing like a main fleet and everything and uh, we're just gonna do it then but apparently um, everyone was just you know relying on us to ref it again so we went there and refed it again in ravens and we lost like almost the entire raven fleet uh, but we got a reft and it was like everyone in range so i was still pretty proud of the achievement refing a, a keepstar as a single alliance uh, under the noses of like all the northern alliances basically they were all in range i'm sure nc 
was used to ravens by then so uh, but we get it we got it done anyway even though we had to pay i'm not sure how much isk it was i would guess it was probably around the 10 20 bill mark something like this which is probably peanuts by now but like back then it still hurt but yeah we got it done was it when i walked after you with my titan is that no that was the, that was the that was the fort, right timer, i believe no no i think that was the armor timer when uh, oh, okay. we just went in there like we knew we we're not going to ref it again so we went in there trying yeah. to maybe snack kills here and there and see what happens you know maybe get some experience yeah, you got a couple frags as well right i respect yeah, we, that we killed a couple we lost a couple i was a little bit you know the titan walking after us i have to admit like uh i was thinking about that hmm, how do we get him how do we get him i believe there's ways but it has there, there has to be so much to be done right with the right timing you guys have to make a mistake even and then we could catch him but you know it's it's a it's a stretch and that opportunity never came up again so uh is this what titan is this that you're talking about kelby oh yeah that's that's obviously his uh vanquisher it's not it's not a typical titan right it's a faction titan well you know it's a faction titan yeah it's a faction titan that's nice to kill but if it's killer beast faction titan the main fc on from nc dot you know it adds a little bit on the value i believe just a little me, bit I'm right? not, I'm not guy you know if if there's a, a high price take on it it's all great but you know that has a has a different kind of value on it obviously and he knows that right yeah there was this post by uh the uh the leader of uh uh not eight um kings rooks and kings and he was talking about <clears throat> back in the day when there was these ships had names and they had like uh reputations the ships themselves so killer b uh what's what's your uh vanquisher called uh i don't know if, what's it called right now to be honest <laughs> i have to log in you see anyway there was a time where ships were so valuable they were they were uh given names like swords right like a some kind of hero would have a certain weapon all right so in uh so rounding out january and february um uh, anything else that was going on with you guys? I, I guess we can talk about, I'll let you guys answer if there's anything else you want to talk about in that area. And if not, we'll talk about um, something that leads into further conflict, and that is Pandemic Legion at this time is attacking Providence. It's a bit early, but they're trying to capture all these stations that are going to be movable and capturable, and uh, they're going to steal them away from Provi. So PL goes in there and really, with a little help from NC, kind of wipes out the area. Um, <clears throat> and um at around this time also elo knight has returned to the game he's another fc couldn't be here today he's away from home um but he re-establishes origin and black legion now with three dots which is kind of funny uh so uh so elo knight always a wild card uh comes back and and then i think test goes after providence like what was the thinking there billy there wasn't so much a thinking behind it. Um, we had been assisting Providence and Jintan and the crew in Providence for uh, most of PL's campaign against them, which started, I think, in February. Um, you know, every weekend we would they would set their Citadel timers the weekend, and we would try and bring up two or three hundred capitals to try and support them and make sure that uh, things went okay. But you know, after a while, you go up with two or three hundred capitals, you form, and you go two, three jumps, and you get blue balled. You know, sooner or later, you, you know. 
your numbers decrease and decrease and decrease until you're at the point where you can't take the fight. And then PL started making the progress. And bit by bit, they chewed through a lot of the important providence structures. Uh, eventually, uh, they had chewed through most of the important providence structures, and they began pushing southward towards Catch. And they ended up on our border in Delta Tech Gulf, which is one of the few systems in Providence that's in direct range of our catch staging. And they had an Athenor there, and they were using it to tighten bridge on our operations. So we reinforced it, and then we had uh, kind of the monumental fight of DTAC-G over that single Athenor. Um, and that fight was pretty crucial in terms of proving the uh, viability of shield supers against a dread bomb. It was a pretty massive uh, victory for us in terms of killing 300 dreads, I think it was, you know, at the cost of one Titan, 40 facts, and 10 dreads. And I think just at that point, it was a, a pretty crucial growth component of our super fleet for the, the next six months kind of thing. It was a really important confidence moment. Yeah, was that the first time you'd, you'd beat, beaten back Pandemic Legion in a significant way like that? Uh, I think that might be accurate to say, yeah. I mean, we, we'd had, you know, fights with PL, and we definitely beat them on the subcap uh, field many times. But, you know, they'd always had that looming dread bomb in Curse, Providence area that we, we knew was there, and it was always kind of a an axe that hung over our heads kind of thing. And we finally got an opportunity to you know, just deflect and destroy that axe. And it was pretty, uh, pretty crucial to the way uh, we had hoped to grow. Yeah, so what were you thinking in that fight when you saw the uh, the dreads come in? Here we go. <laughs> I don't, you know, it, it's... Uh, I always knew that the facts would hold the way I thought, but I'd spent the better part of a year and a half, if not two years, trying to explain to people how it would work, and the amount of haters and people who didn't understand the mechanics who I would have to explain it to over and over and over and over again and, you know, like on our own forums and, you know, uh, we, we had multiple people who was just like, oh, no, once you get dread bombed by 50 dreads, your shield titans are dead instantly. And I'm like, no, it's not how it works. You know, uh, you know, a, a single Minakawa, like, it transfers like 17 to 1 on newts or something like that. It's pretty crazy. So anyways, people never quite got it. But, you know, so you have to kind of show show some how something works before people will accept that it works. Somebody has to lead the way. and. We managed to lead the way and prove that shield super caps are indeed viable and effective. That was a really crucial point for us. And this is one of the reasons that Test was selected this year is because you were one of the few groups really championing, uh, you know, shield uh, doctrines on the super cap level. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have my old rambling about supers uh, SoundCloud out. That's hilarious. Yeah. That was a really interesting fight, by the way, because uh, it was put into uh, context through a video that was made by, I think, Adon, and it was a great video, and there's this rousing speech in the middle of it, and you say, now is the time to show them we're not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of these guys, except with their super capitals. I'm still afraid of those, and everybody started laughing uh, because... Well, I mean, it, it was accurate, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know, at, at the time, I, I, could, I'm, I could actually mentally remember my thought process and I'm like, I, I, I could say I'm not afraid of these dishes because I'm not. Fuck, I can't encourage them to bring their supers down right now. We're not ready for that shit. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it was just the way it was. But that left the other card to play for PL, right? Because uh, this was a dread bomb, huge, but a dread bomb. It didn't have any of their 
Titans or uh, super carriers with it. And a few weeks later, I think they brought them down, right? So this must have been a signal to them saying, we, we need that umbrella. Oh, no, it, they didn't bring their Titans super down for three or four more months. Yeah, it was it was mm-hmm. months uh, months away from that, but uh, yeah, it was a very significant fight, at least as well uh, from our from my perspective. It mm-hmm. definitely gave Tess a lot of confidence, as but like Billy already had the confidence, and I think Progo does too, because they're both you know they've been they've been around a while. But for the Tess line members, I think it was very important to to see that you know they can they can pull that off, and that would that would just gain them such a huge. Um, big bump in PR as well. I'm, you know, obviously I don't know what the recruitment numbers are like, but I'm assuming fights like that always are great for your recruitment because people are like, oh, we can join this alliance that just beat PL and NC Dot, right? So it was huge for the line members, gave them all a lot of confidence. And it, it yeah, like really said, it really showcased, hey, Shield Supers aren't, you know, as shit as people make them out to be, apparently. Yeah, and and right after that fight, our Shield Titan production just spiked through the roof yeah. in right? Because all of a sudden, people have the confidence to believe what we've been saying is actually true. You will survive under reps. It doesn't have to be armor titans you're using in a super cap fleet. As long as your super cap fleet is properly built, you will still do fine, right? Also very important that they see that there's activity for them. Right? That's always the problem. That has always been the problem for us, super cap-wise, because we're always... Exactly, uh, a little bit on our own, not entirely in Fountain, for sure we're not entirely on our own. If there's like a massive fight kicking off, we would get help fairly quickly. But uh, if you operate a little bit outside, um, it's hard to get the activity up um, without risking too much. And uh, so... Yeah, well, it's, it's actually kind of funny because especially early in that year, we were probably the most active super cap alliance in the game. Uh, we had, you know, a super cap fight against PLNNC like head GP, I believe it was, with like a smaller scale, like 50 to 100 dreads. And then we had a small super cap fight against, I think it was Red Alliance in Lower Stain. And then we had DTAC G fight. Like we were just, like our supers and stuff were just going nonstop kind of thing. Don't uh, forget uh, CO2, the, the dread fucking massacre. Oh, XWI. Yeah, that was la- the previous year in October, yeah, was, I believe it was. No, yeah, October. Yeah, it would have been October. Yeah, uh, like, but we had just been going like our, our our small our small super cap fleet had been going just constant, but we we still kept hearing the ring of, you know, like the, the thing super cap pilots always say, "I never get used. We never get any opportunities to fight." It's like we're doing more than any other lights of the game. Like I can't do more here, guys. It's like so it, it was just crucially like D dash G was so important for us in terms of like you know changing the perception, and, and that was just. That stuff was actually the reason why we were actually not a big fan of the first ref of 9-4 because obviously we didn't know what the plans for Horde to move on and so on and Horde was ramping up their supers and cap numbers in general so we were very much looking forward to hunting their caps and supers with our caps and supers in Cloud Ring and maybe Fade and uh, a little bit further but uh, and then suddenly um, uh, Asha, I'm not actually sure who decided to do it, but I think it was Asha, decided to go for that 9-4 keep. So getting all that attention on our hunting area and basically all our super cap activity plans went out the window because you can't feel shit if there's like two full coalitions uh, waiting to drop on you. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a little bit shit for us there. Right. So another group at the same time that was um, attracting a lot of 
pilots that could use their supers was skill you and that was in the drone region area opner did you uh did you note how fast or, or killer b2 note how fast those guys grew with uh pilots that wanted to use their big ships oh yeah they went from starting with three revenants and when they were when that we hired them uh to go and do amencia and then when after the the kerfuffle of who paid who and whatever passed and they said no we're just going to start killing bot renters uh it, it ramped up quickly uh they obviously couldn't build them uh very effectively but they sure as hell could buy them uh so when people started fire selling and honestly they were probably buying the supers that were docking up because they were afraid of getting dropped on by skill you so when That's that a weird happened, cycle isn't it a little bit right yeah like i i, I don't want to use this ship because i'll get it killed so i'll just sell it to the guy that's killing us with them well i mean the people selling them didn't care because they were leaving right uh if you can't rent your system you're moving on uh, and if you're moving if you're selling your super you're probably not staying in the drone lands if you're moving on so yeah, there, there, there's no better possible environment to grow a super cat fleet than in the middle of someone else's renter grounds like it, yeah. it's so incredible like, I remember, like, I don't know, around this time, myself and Prague had a conversation where we were talking about just how badly XIX and Solar were feeding. They were feeding a super cap kill a day, on average. Like, some days they would feed more. Like, no matter what they did, every single day, they would find a way to lose a super. And, you know, just kill yourself would be killing the super. And there is nothing more encouraging to growth of a corporation or alliance than, hey, come on over to us. We kill a super every single day. Like, who doesn't want to join and do that, right? Like, it, it's impossible to not grow when you get that kind of free success. They lived the dream in terms of, as well, like... That, oh, I absolutely. That was, that was one of the, like, last um, instances where an alliance or a group of maybe, you know, 100 people was fighting a blob of 500, 400, 300, however many people, and they were still winning just because how poorly organized uh the dcu and xix were at least that's what it looked like to me at the time and yeah, absolutely uh, like, inexperienced and all that you know and they just kind of skill you just kind of schooled them on, on pretty much every single timer and obviously that's a lot of fun like it is a shit ton of fun to just go around with 100 people and just play with a 300 man blob picking them off left and right and just even winning the objective at times so yeah it's it's great well, and it was even a complete denial of the problem for months. Like, by the time we were even in proximity to help in an organized way, uh, it was, we were already outnumbered in what we could effectively do in time zone. Because, obviously, like, you're spread out so badly uh, as far as, you know, having Russians going deep, you know, for us, U.S. time zone, and then the Euros not really being able to put anything very effective against SkillU. And then we're sitting there in U.S. where everyone was told to put timers at, and we're like... Well, great. They have 50 Lokis and a super cap fleet. And uh, I, if I ping for supers, my subcap numbers are going to go through the floor because people are not going to be like, I have other things to do suddenly. And I could watch that happen literally every time. Well, I mean, the thing is, Skill Yourself was just a, is a really top tier uh, group of players. And they were drawing from, you know, all, all the key groups. Triumvirate, yep. they were drawing from PL, they were drawing from all of the elite groups just because their content was so good. And there, the, the, like, I'm not going to say there isn't entities like that left, like XX and DCU that are just that bad at the game, but they were pretty incredible at how bad they were in 
terms of organizing their defenses and like just every everything they did was wrong. And all of everything they did made it easier for skill yourself and harder for themselves to do anything right. And by the time they actually were like, all right, we have to sit down and deal with this. <laughs> it, it was too late. They they did they couldn't even remotely come close to the super numbers they needed to handle them, which is hilarious considering the amount of space and rent regions and all that they had. But you know, it's like how do you deal with 50 Nixes and, you know, 25 Titans? Uh, well, we need kind of at least something close to that. And they're like, we don't have it. I guess we lose. And <laughs> eight, eight regions later, see you later. Yeah, I think the the turning point for with Skill U was ironically the deployment to cash. Uh, because literally everyone looked around and we, like we saw the D scans come up from the move ops uh, onto the fort. And we were like, where are the Russian supers? Well, yeah, no. As, as much as as much as people like to think that XX had some big super fleet, they didn't. Like, you know, no, they, no, they were like thirty supers, ten titans was like where they were like maxing out during like the CO two war at times. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And you know, it's just so. Let me. Uh, so this is about May and June, right? When uh, um, is it? XIX this, is, finally... this is March, April, May, kind of. March, April, May. Okay, so this is before uh, XIX, the Drone Regions Authority, basically decides to fold and and retreat into the south. Yeah, well, in May they had the Battle of Sitakel, which was their evacuation operation, and before that, everything is just this slow decline, culmination, build up to you know the absolute. Failure of a move off of Tech L. By the way, it took. I was informed that that move was going to happen in January. The uh, the consolidation of XIX and Innsmother was planned out in January, and did not actual like they didn't start moving towards Legacy Space until May. To give you like an indication of the transition period, where they were almost in a weird holding pattern. To the point where well, they in in February you were right, winning, right? right? Like you cleared the uh, tri keep star. You know things were going good. It's just yep, after they, after oh. what February eighth, I think it was. Uh, there was just no opportunity. Like you know, you, you you put the boot, you know, the boot on the throat of try, and you're like, all right, we got this, boys. And then you, it's like it's like you're at a bullets or something. Like you just had no more energy to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I think there were, I, I underestimated how many people were kind of at the same spot I was when I said, all right, I'm 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 done fighting this war and I'm leaving. Because uh, a lot of other people did too. And that's unfortunate. I feel kind of bad. But it's, at the same time, it, it was just a culmination of a really long, laborious war that, again, yeah, there was no, you're completely right in the fact there was not a, a good amount of organization top tier. Uh, and all levels down followed suit for that. So in broad terms, the uh, uh, XIX, who is the leader of the drone regions area, is is making plans to retreat. They finally do uh, in was it say March or May, and get caught. On, what was what was the offer, Billy? Were you gonna let him sleep on the couch, kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, there's no uh, no downside to us having a friendly alliance or coalition sitting on your couch. It's just more bodies if you need them, and at the same time. It allows you to push your borders eastward with a friendly entity. So, to us, it's a pretty win-win situation kind of thing. 
did that get you in the hot water with like their enemies, Triumvirate and Winter Coalition? And well, their enemies already hated us, and were already coming for us, anyways. Yeah, it really <laughs> didn't make it really didn't make a difference. Like Tri was never going to side with Test, at least as far as I'm aware. So yeah, which is it, why it, we had always really why we why we were so key about CO2 not joining in with Tri, like the year before, right? Like you know, these people are always going to side with Peel and NC. You can't you know go be friends with them versus us. And they're like, well, no, we can. And it's like, no, you can't. You know, there's just certain people in this game that think a certain way. You can't uh, just decide that you're going to be the one to change them. You know, you're not a good looking lady like that. It's, you know, <laughs> gig X. Yeah. Not that gig good looking. Yeah. Gig X's wife. Not, well, I better not finish that sentence. She probably is Yeah, really good looking, but um, all right. So, hey, uh, right. So Keep that was hands offer. Yeah. So you guys end up, um, uh, seeing kind of the destruction of a move op, which we were talking about earlier, is just devastating because this wasn't a deployment where you take some of your ships forward and fight. This was like all your stuff because you're moving. And well, how bad was that damage? Well, we said it before the show. I think uh, getting your move up gang is probably one of the worst things that can happen to your alliance because usually uh, the way alliance leaders try to spin their, their moves is they always... You're never going to go... Like, no... Alliance leader is going to go and be like, yeah, we just got shit on, so we're going to move away. Uh, it's all kind of bad now. They're, like, you will always try to spin it in some positive ways. Like, oh, yeah, this this area held us back. Now we're going to move into new shores and we'll have this great new fresh start or whatever. And you try to build up some sort of hype um, leading up to the move so that people are excited to move into the new area. You know, they get excited for what what's to come. And then on that move up that is supposed to start this new great adventure you get destroyed that is that is really really bad for every alliance because it crushes your morale of of your line members and it also for a lot of these line members they carry everything they own they give it to their friend that has a titan or something you know they they give all their belongings to friends that own some titan supers they pack some of their favorite ships in their own carrier and they move and that gets destroyed and that is really bad. Some people cannot recover from that. Um, there's obviously Alliance SRP. Um, and some alliances, I don't know if XIX ever paid SRP to those people that lost their stuff there. But still, like for some people, they just lose everything. And that is a really bad thing. I think the other day when Tri's move up got ganked, I, saw, I think I saw a Hell kill mail that was like 44 billion-esque. And like the Hell itself is probably like 18 or 20 bill of that, right? So that dude had like 20... Yeah, or even less. So that dude had like 25, 30 billion isk off his personal assets, his ships, his, you know, his stuff in that hell, and it got killed. He lost like the majority of his uh, of his of his assets there. And that's a huge blow to uh, every alliance. So that's something you absolutely want to avoid. In some cases, the, the monetary value isn't really reflecting the truth because it doesn't calculate BPOs and research time and that kind of stuff uh, accurately. Hopner? Well, yeah, if there's BPOs, obviously, they're always going to be undervalued. But for the majority, uh, the S value is correct, but it also removes the, the valuation of just how much extra value that stuff has when it's in zero zero versus high sec when you're talking about, you know, moving you know, loads and freighter loads and freighter loads and freighter loads of stuff. You're looking at another 10, 20% value on top of that in most cases. And on top of that, it's just, it's all your stuff. There's no insurance, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, it's just gone. It's hard for people to realize what it's like to lose a forty billion a super, and that's your ratting super. So you have no more way to make money quite the same. You're not getting reimbursed for it. You lost all your subcap ships. It's it's rough. 
It's uh, really telling how much better the alliance is that Killer B has been in, because literally every time we moved, <laughs> the statement was, yeah, we kind of got shit on there, but uh, we're going to go someplace else and see what we can do. So they uh, they move, they get caught. Uh, Tess does not help them out. That was kind of a big deal. People were looking for you to... Yeah, you didn't jump in to save them. And I think NC was kind of waiting to see what you were going to do, right? So we we lost about 300, uh, 400 capitals in that fight. Um, we did not lose our super cap fleet because we never formed our super cap fleet until the fight was basically over. Uh, which was As the way it. people spin it was, the way people like our side tried to spin it was like uh, tests abandoned, or like Tappy, I'm sorry, Tappy abandoned their ally. And uh, is this how you treat a new coalition mate or whatever? That's, that's what we said on Reddit and shit. Uh, at the end of the day, Tess did jump in with a lot of regular caps, and like really said, they just didn't have their supers moved in advance. For like, we were never going to be in position to use our super cap fleet. There, we had no facts cover, and we had no facts we cache set up. Yeah. You know, it's like let, let's go fight the entirety of the East, which was you know fraternity, triumvirate, skill yourself, etc. Plus, you know, Horde and NC would probably have been down if we had formed supers in some way or another. I know the NC Dreadbomb and Curse was you know ready to go. I'm pretty sure. I'm actually not sure. I know that I wasn't part of that fight. I'm pretty sure it was Judy and Travis who who uh, jumped us into that fight. Um, but yeah, I, for some reason, I wasn't around. I'm, I can't remember what. Maybe it was work or something else. I think it was work, actually. I think it was working at the time. And uh, and then I basically checked my phone from work and I saw this massive thing going down. Um, so yeah, both both us as an NC dot and, uh, and Tess were involved. And it was kind of big for us because... NC Dot has always held back uh, in the past before that to attack XIX directly. Uh, I've I've been trying to get us involved in in you know killing XIX and uh, some of the DCU uh, a bit earlier than that. But uh, it was ever like yeah we don't want to burn that bridge yada yada uh, from certain people. Um, so we never really got involved. But then when uh, XIX sort of moved onto the couch with Test. It was a very great excuse for us to finally shoot them. It was like, yeah, now they were going to go towards our enemy anyway, so we might as well shoot them, right? And that's uh, when that happened. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they were your ally. Think... What? Why do you want to kill oh, them? Well, eh, I mean, that's yeah. that's up to the like. There's people in Eve that are going to tell you, yes, XIX and mm -hmm. and the DCU, they were our ally, and we've been having deals with them for ages and ages. And then there's people like me, and at least as far I don't know, maybe I've never, maybe I've never moved to the highest pay grade within the North, although I'd like to think I did at some time anyways. Um, but I've never really witnessed any sort of real alliance between us and them. It was always like a, like I said, we never really wanted to aggress them because we figured when it comes down to the whole like huge war thing, they'd rather side with us than with the enemy, which would be the Imperium and Test at the time. But to me, that image was already shattered because when we asked to when we asked XIX to join into what will be, they didn't want to because they were scared that we were going to fail and then goons were going to retaliate onto them. So to me, it was very obvious that XIX were never going to side with us anyways because they don't want to um, put themselves in a position where they could uh, you know get aggressed after war by someone. So I never held on to that damage, but there were certainly people within the northern leadership that didn't want to burn that bridge. So that never happened. Yeah, it's kind of funny because XIX, who has traditionally been the leader of XX Coalition, had strong personal relationships with Vince, Tawny, and Elise, who are, you know, uh, NC, Goons, PL, 
the primary or old older school leaders, I guess you could say, and Elise rather like blatantly kind of burned XAX uh, over the course of this last little war in MTO, uh, or I guess that would have been January or maybe December. I can't remember when MTO was. The Keepstar that was dropped in Peel supported uh, GOTG, but you know Elise really betrayed him and that hurt him pretty bad there. And, you know, as Kilo said, you know, he didn't want to burn his relationship with Matani by attacking World War D. And, you know, so the only relationship he had kind of left of those, I think, was Vince. And Vince was, you know, not like part of what we've seen over this year above everything has been kind of Vince's slow, uh, how would I say, his releasing of control of the North and the deterioration partly you've seen because of that. Uh, part like Vince is still there. He's still active to a degree, but it, it feels like he's had a much less active role in leading the North than traditionally. And you're seeing it in spades all over as the North had kind of relied on him to be the main point of leadership, you know, for all of these different groups. And, and without that single cohesive kind of goals, uh, it, it's definitely been a, a detriment to them. I feel. Uh, interestingly, the uh, let's um, interestingly, this uh, it's just I'm, I'm blown away, Killer B, because they didn't help you with World War B, then they're not really an ally, therefore, they at some point can be targeted. And oh, here's an opportunity because they're joining test, so some NCFCs jump in and try to kill XIX. Basically, you guys just didn't want them as allies or. I mean, that's what it sounds like, like they, they should be fair game. And I, I was looking at it thinking, well, maybe NC wants to get in on some of that skill you action, you know, using. No, I mean, obviously, the yeah. primary objective was to kill Tester. We never really wanted to hex, hurt XIX in the first place, right? And it, we only we, we only jumped in because Tess jumped in. So they were a primary target. And then once Tess I was see. dead, we, we just targeted the next neutral thing on grid, which was XIX at the time. I mean, that's, so, that's how you would probably spin it. But that's bullshit. Right. So that's like, <laughs> I just tell you my person, like every time I'm on the show, I say it every time because people like to, especially from within NC dot, people tell me, uh, you know, like they, they poke me after the show and they like, Hey, killer, why do you say this stuff on TIS? That's not NC dot's official opinion. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not here to represent NC dot's official opinion. I'm here to represent my opinion. I'm going to tell you my opinion and I don't care what NC dot thinks about it. Right. Like, and that's, that's the truth. What happened there? Um, so, and you're not going to attack Triumvirate, who's also there. So, because they're, I guess, an ally to NC Dot in the North. I like. I always. I always liked CPA. I've never really had a relationship with Gars. Obviously, Try at the time. Uh, well, actually, at the time, I don't actually know who led Try, but uh, historically, since Try has been sorted back, Try has been led by CPA, which is Captain Patrick Archer and EOTZ, and then Gars and USTZ. Um, Garst quite known that he works at the military so he's usually deployed for very long times and then it's mostly up to uh, captain patrick archer and i've always liked working with uh, with archer we've worked a lot together even uh, as early as world war b i sometimes uh, called them for help or something like that they came up through wormholes so i've always had a good relationship with them so i was more inclined to work with them than uh, xix or uh, test all right so moving on the uh the next big thing that happens, I believe, is is uh, Test decides they're going to challenge uh, PL for Providence. What happened there, Billy? All right, so uh, we'd gotten lots of experience and practice with Entosis, 
and we saw Pandemic Legion holding 82 systems in Providence, every one of them with a station, I think. And we were like, we should take that fat cheddar. And <laughs> we were like, they, every single system, every single system was ADM1 or ADM2, aside from like three of them in the HTP pocket or something like that. Oh, because it just been burned down by PL. Well, no, they didn't anchor IOPS in anything. So it was oh. literally just the TCUs, uh, you know, and the station uh, Intosis itself, right? So we were like, this is going to be easy. And we're like, all right. So we, you know, we put out a pretty solid disinformation campaign about where we're going. We tried to hide it as much as we can. I think we took them by surprise a pretty decent bit. And we moved into ERVK in Providence. Or maybe ERVK is in North Cash. I don't know. Uh, but it's basically jump range of all the relevant places in Providence. And we were like, all right, boys, go to town. Move in. And we were planning on, like, entosising it. Like, we gave ourselves three weeks to do it all. I had wanted two weeks. Pro-God was, like, three weeks. We played it on the safe side. We did three weeks. Before we even told people to go out and entosis things, like, half of the region was reinforced. And we had basically the entirety of Providence taken within six days. Like, the like there was three systems left, I think, within six days. And, you know, obviously, you know, Ragnar, who is the Intosis King of PL, was like, oh, you'll never be able to hold this. I'll, you know, I'm going to make your life a living hell. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get you. Yeah, we'll get you. But, you know, obviously that didn't really work. You know, I put like 2,000 people in front of you. It's like, yeah, good luck, boys. You know, so he does his 15 main game camps. We start dropping them with Titans and just making it like Delve 2.0 kind of thing. And, you know, all of a sudden it's not very fun. And, you know, Providence falls pretty effectively and pretty quickly after that. So plus eighty two free stations, yay! Yes, yeah. Well, and uh, and and when PL was fighting, there was a little Provi guy named uh, Lumio that we featured on the show, and he would just fight with everything he had, and it was kind of a funny character. So when you guys were attacking, I think it was Brave was saying for Lumio. So you guys were there to avenge this little guy that was standing up to PL. Yeah, so Lumio is one of those like high elite PvP characters, like really <laughs> insanely good at the game, and he was uh, fighting PL with Tristans and. Trying to resist, you know, trying to be the the kind of Don Quixote of Providence and trying to resist the invasion. And you know, we saw the banner he had put down, and we were like, "This man knows what's up." And we, we tried to do our best to help him with his campaign against uh, the evil aggressors. And you did. You uh, you chased them out of town, and you captured the whole region yourself. What did you give to Providence? <laughs> Anything? Six stations, I believe it was. Oh. So uh, I basically at the uh, at, before we even invaded, our plan was basically, I think every alliance and legacy got six stations, and Providence got six stations. I think Test took seven, maybe or something like that. Or no, actually, I think it ended up everybody got six, and we had like two or three like spares that we like planned on giving to people who lost them or you know whatever. So that that was kind of how it went. It, it it went well, you know, it gave every legacy alliance an incentive to go do some entosis work. Gave Providence some incentive to work with us because you know they get to keep all the primary important stations they wanted and it worked out great for everybody yeah and, and here's another reason the test was selected in 2018 as most influential you guys pretty much did this on your own right or i should say legacy yeah it was legacy alliance a little help from probably and that was uh that was it, how we it, rolled i mean we weren't dealing yeah. with anybody crazy it was just pl without their supers and NC supporting them a little bit, and there's not a ton of realistic, like, PL without an NC without their supers, you know, it's like 
three, four hundred man fleet, and this is after they've lost their big dread bomb with DXG, so they don't even have great capital assets. NC's actually moved out to a degree at this point. Like there just wasn't any real ability for them to resist at this point. Yeah, NC is now busy in the north, I believe, uh, helping to uh, fight up there. It's possible, yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, yeah, I, I believe you're right. They're in Cloud Ring trying to defend off uh, the initiative and stuff and that kind of stuff. That was during my first inactivity period uh, of 2018, which was when um, basically I said earlier that GOTG and Horde had told us that they could handle the Goon 6 and ended up north on their own which turned out to be untrue because they got they got reamed pretty hard almost uh, on a daily basis trying to contest uh, timers like like little astra houses or whatever in certain systems uh, especially in USTZ they got uh, they got destroyed pretty hard quite often um, so we ended up uh, we ended up deciding uh, focusing a bit more on that situation up there we deployed our supers uh, forward a bit towards pure blind i think we deployed them to otec y at the time and we have i don't know if we actually moved into x47 uh, like i said i wasn't really active uh, at the time that was when i got my new job my uh, full-time job and uh, i was i was basically phased out completely uh just trying to because that was the first time i actually worked in my life uh, before that i was like st studying on a university and shit so obviously it took some time getting used to that um and yeah that that's uh, what happened around that time i think I guess NC and, and Initiative have been enemies for a while, and they're they're fighting around this time too, if I'm not mistaken. That was before my time as well. Like there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of stuff going on between Init and NC dot before I joined NC. I remember there was a I think there was a deployment by NC dot to Barliquet or something back in I don't know yeah. which year it was 2017. I don't know. Pando, maybe you have a better yeah. recollection of that than I do. Well, you deployed twice, right? The Fizzle War thing, the, the failed Dread Bomb in uh, Harkonnen basically bought us time to actually recapture all the progress NCDOT made. And yeah. then NCDOT came back again. By the way, you lost stuff on the move up too. Just saying. Right, I remember. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> it was some good <laughs> stuff too. Um, yeah. And then uh, NC came back again, and then we changed up uh, our tactics a little bit. I think a little bit too slow. If we would have come up with the Ravens right at start when uh, NC came back, it would have been more effective. But um, yeah, that's where we de developed actually the Ravens to deal with the super caps and our cap uh, superiority from NC dot. In at general. the time, we were still outnumbering you in sub caps as well, right? Like NC dot at the time yeah. was, well, was you know forming it... more than in it. Yeah, you know how it works, right? Like if you guys form, let's say, 150 subs, and we can form 150 subs, our subs are all going to be, like, that's all we've got. Like, we can't field caps on top of it. But NCDOT was always able to have that big cap wing in the back, so we had to be super careful at all times. Yeah. It was tricky. It was a good uh, learning experience. That's actually my dread alt. Top damage on that mayor. <laughs> top damage um, <laughs> all right and uh so uh test has captured providence and reaped a huge benefit but there was stations all over drone regions as well and i thought that was a big region that wasn't really talked about uh opener who took all those stations a lot of a lot of them were held by nc through bot and a lot of them ended up with hard knocks and cobalt edge um volta took a bunch in uh the middle regions and skill you 
took a decent chunk of them as well. But overall, I think mostly they ended up just sort of being pieced out by people that did their thing. Um, I, I'm pretty, all the NC ones got lifted as far as I know. I don't think any of, or sold in place. So it was one of those things where a lot of people were. Yeah, we scooped 110 faction forts when the, uh, when the, when the, when the swap happened. It was, uh, it was kind of ridiculous, uh, watching my asset notifications because all of my Sinotunes, <laughs> I had, I think I had Sinos and Liquido and every one of those stations because i saw a notification on every single one of them as they were going away uh, but it was it was not a horrible transition for drones i think and i think the reason a lot of people didn't eye drones as far as like a money opportunity was because when you look at the map like yeah there's a lot of stations and because there's a lot of systems but wow they are spread out uh, and there was a ton of dead space there's a lot of pipes that never really got good station traction it's not like providence where you have that density uh, where you could literally like, oh, we're going to take a constellation and like it'll be a day's work, you know, or weekend's work to conquer this whole constellation. No, you were you were going to hate life for a little bit. Yeah, station and pretty much a station in every system there in uh, Providence. But what's funny is HK takes some of those faction Fortazars and they stash them away in their safe box, which is Fort Knox inside of the rage mm -hmm. system, which we get to later in the year. Um, but yeah, so. Next comes uh, an attack from Pandemic Legion on test. I think the war begins uh, that leads to the Battle of UALX, uh, which is huge. So how did that actually start? So it begins with a movement by Skill Yourself and Volta into Immensia, which is the first of the forces coming in on the east. Uh, they're followed shortly uh, for shortly by Fraternity, Triumvirate, and Lumpy. You're trailing off a little and, bit, by the way, the, the mic. But go ahead. Sorry. So it um, it starts with uh, Scare Yourself and Volta, sh followed shortly by Triumvirate, followed by Lumpy, followed by Fraternity, and then shortly after followed by Pandemic Legion with their super fleet. And at this point, you know, the war for Amencia is kind of on. Uh, Test immediately redeploys to Delta Yankee Tech Papa, and we see a lot of uh, kind of skirmishing going on. Nobody's really sure how they want to play out the war. Uh, Triumvirate makes some aggressive plays early, but they get a little bit punished or they ran off pretty effectively. And there's just a lot of lack of cohesion in the groups that are working against us. Skill Yourself seems to be actually the most effective and aggressive of those groups. They make a play in YTAC J. Um, we eventually managed to put that down, although we feed a whole bunch of stuff to prevent them from getting a Fortizar online there. But that's part of the UALX uh, situation. As we had a spy installation at the time, we knew they were planning on redeploying to YTAC-J, which would put them kind of behind our lines, I guess you could say, which is something we really considered as kind of like a death point or a situation where it would be unrecoverable from. So three days later, we deployed the UALX Keepstar, uh, or ULX Keepstar number one, I guess. And right. the, the Battle of ULX begins. Uh, part of what made that available is we were planning to build our whole Keepstar chain from Esoteria to Catch. So we had a, a multitude of Keepstars that we had been building to try and properly set up that uh, highway. And so we had you know two Keepstars ready to go. And that's partly what made ULX 1 and 2 uh, workable. 
So UX, we drop it. Uh, we set time for US time zone. We knew we would be able to probably take a fight in US time zone. We call in the Goon Shield Super Fleet, uh, which wasn't that big at the time. I mean, it was only 40 Titans, which is a 40% increase on our Titan numbers, which was relatively important. And then, you know, the, the fight happens as it goes. Uh, it's uh, PL and NC, I think, are or PL and NC. <laughs> I'm so used to saying PL and NC. Yeah. But uh, PL and the Eastern Bloc uh, commit at range to the Keepstar as it's anchoring. Uh, they just don't put any effort into thinking about how they're positioning. And uh, it's probably the biggest tactical error of the battle as it allows us to jump in into the range outside of more than half of their Doomsday range. So only about half of the Titans are actually able to offensively use their Doomsdays. We jump in with our Titans in tether range, and about 90% of our Titans are in Doomsday range. So our 140 versus their 160 to 180 in reality becomes 120 of us versus 90 of them kind of thing. So it gives us a tactical advantage. We're also in tether range, which is a pretty massive advantage uh, when you're on these kind of fights. And so any of our disconnects are just tethered there, and they're just sitting in the middle of a blob disconnected. As we jump in, we uh, use properly set up uh, Doomsday groups, and we like Insta Doomsday 2 uh, Erebuses. Their counter Doomsday wave doesn't come in for like 10 minutes, and it, it's kind of a failure wave, I think, or something like that. It, it, it doesn't happen anyways. Was that the tether bug or exploit or whatever you want to call it? You know what I mean? Nobody realized there was a tether bug or exploit during that fight. It's possible it was, but there wasn't that might Doomsday's be the explanation. Fire. Yeah, it might be. Anyways, uh, the fight goes on. We end up trading about 10 Titans for 4 Titans. You know, we fail a Doomsday Waiver 2. Uh, they fail a Doomsday Waiver 2. Um, you know, it's just really hard when the lag is that heavy. You have to perfectly sync all of your Doomsdays within a matter of seconds, right? And it's just very, very difficult. Uh, we're utilizing our massive dread cache we had in DY TAC, which I think was 800 dreads at the time. So we're just throwing in waves of two or 300 dreads at a time, another wave, another wave, another wave. Uh, and obviously they're just not able to cope with that. Although even if the dreads are dying in the center of the Titan blob, basically unsupported, uh, we're making progress against their faxes. And, you know, Triumvirate was down to, I think, eight faxes at the time when the node crashed and we were just about to start uh, chewing through the first of their rags, I think. And then and we had Doomsday Wave in on a PL Titan. Like, there was literally about four uh, northern, northeastern Titans that were about to die within 10 minutes of real time uh, right before the node crashed, which was unfortunate. But including the node Moloch, crashes... Right? What, sorry? Including a Moloch. I think the Goons t Goon Titans, when they jumped in, they uh, they spooled all the DDs on one of the Molochs on grid. And, no, no, uh, no. They they wanted to shoot a Moloch, and I oh, okay. kept telling them like "fuck off." Um, <laughs> and then it, and then the node died. Yeah, like I I wasn't expecting the node to just die, right? CCP's been really good about like uh, not letting the nodes die in these kind of fights. Uh, you know, it, it becomes a laggy mess, right? But you know, you're going till downtime. It was the expectation you have to kind of run with, because if you're like, "Oh, the node's just gonna die," mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing? So the uh, the choice is made, uh, we keep fighting, we keep fighting, and then the note crashes. And at that time, we're at 9 or 10 Titans to 4. We've got a massive supply of dreads ready to go. We know we were chewing through well on faxes. 
the enemy groups to us, so the east, northeastern forces, had jumped all their Dredzian at zero on their own Titans in a defensive situation, so we had no Dread Bomb risk at all, so we knew we were going to maintain absolute range control. Always, like, basically, basically our, our enemies, like, in a ball, right? Like, they were, like, just huddled, you know, in a defensive safety ball, and were at range able to just, like, continue to pound into them, right? Like, you couldn't ask for a better possible situation. And then the no crashes, and we're like, well, fuck, let's keep going, let's keep going. And obviously, they're in a situation like, oh, we've had enough of this. And, you know, there was information, you know, that they had that they thought the node wasn't going to come back anytime soon. In fact, the where would they have gotten that idea? Yeah, who knows? But, uh, anyways, the node comes back up in an hour. We all spam log back in. One Blades of Grass Titan logs back in with us <laughs> and instantly dies. But otherwise, uh, okay. yeah, I, I don't blame you. Well, that was like an eight hour fight. Yeah. No, I wasn't there for that. So I can tell you the whole thing. I can do it short from the Northern perspective. Yeah, sure. Basic NC Dot wasn't really like we relied on. Obviously, NC Dot Super Fleet wasn't south at that point, but PLs was. PL had deployed their super south at that point. Um, and we were sort of sitting. We knew that fight was going to happen. We were planning on bringing subcap fleets down. Uh, we were forming up the subcap fleet at something like 1 a.m. my time or midnight my time. And I was just supposed to be helping out with the subcap fleet. Uh, during the form of the subcap fleet, I fell asleep. And I fell asleep with my headset on because I basically just kind of fell asleep in my chair uh, with my headset on. And then when I woke back up, when I woke back up like one and a half hours later, I hear like, I hear us like our FCs, I hear them like coordinating our super fleet through the middle of drone lands. I'm like, wait, what, what just happened within the last one and a half hours that we're now moving our super fleet from tribute, trying to get down to that fight. Right. And, uh, yeah, well, basically goons started moving their, uh, their super fleet from Delph. And then that prompted us to move ours. Um, Imperium and legacy had, some dictators set up along the way, so they slowed slowed us down quite a bit. We did the same with uh, the Goon Superfleet. Uh, very important to say that the Goon Superfleet at the time, or some of it, was staged in uh, fucking somewhere in the north already. So it was quite a long way for them as well. Uh, we slowed them down a bit too. But yeah, basically, uh, as we were arriving in the last midpoint with a, with the majority of a Superfleet uh, ready to jump into the system, we signed in a dread bomb and the node crashed. Basically, that's what happened. So we didn't actually jump our super fleet in. We were about to, and then the node died. And um, yeah, the fleet was kind of dumped on me because the Travis, I think, who was leading it, had to go to work, and Judy was running the subcaps in the system. So I was like, I was just dumped with the super fleet. It was like, yeah, kill. I gotta go to work. You you do what it, you deal our super fleet now. And I was like, nah, fuck this. I don't want to go in there. It's like 4 a.m. my time. So I started moving us back pretty much as soon as the note that I was like, there's no way we're going to lock back in anyways. Like they won this fight. We're not going to lock back in. So I just started moving us back home. Uh, obviously, I got a little slap by CCP Falcon for what I said there, but uh, it's all worked out now. Yeah, 6 RCQ. Thank you, Razor1590 in Twitch chat. Exactly. That's where uh, the Goonswarm armor titans were headed south. The shield titans were already in play. Uh, but the actual armor titans, all of them up in the north, were headed south. And we did not believe that was good intelligence until after we saw them move a jump or two. We yeah. thought it was a bluff. But remember, tie-dye had just, not tie-dye, um, the uh, fatigue had just changed. It had been lessened quite a bit. Yeah, it basically allows you to move around quite freely. Like, even if you cap out fatigue now, you can jump every 30 minutes, which... 
uh, in a fight like UALX is nothing because the fight, you know, like Willie said, everybody kind of suspects the fight to go until downtime. So you can make a jump every 30 minutes. You're still going to arrive uh, with quite some time left. And I, I mean, want to point out, oh, go on, sorry. Kill it first and then. Okay. I just want to, I mean, maybe this is a bit like jumping the gun, but I just want to say like in terms of the strategy of the whole war shaping out, including the goons aggression up north, UALX was probably the most important fight of them all, even more important than X-47 because the entire, like the entire Northern strategy, the entire like strategy that we've come up with basically uh, with the Northern leadership was we stall goons up north as long as we can while you guys make as much progress down south as you can uh, ideally kill quote unquote test obviously you can't really kill alliance but you know push test back by quite a bit make them lose a bunch of their shit. that was the whole strategy we had but after ualx the whole southern thing was over everybody just gave up like skill you realized how hard it is to fight in a real war not just farm renters um, and they kind of just were like, no, nah, we, our members don't like this. We don't really want to do this stuff any, uh, anymore. Like nothing like UALX, uh, we're going to, we're not going to put our members into a situation like UALX again, which is sometimes what you have to put your members in to win a war like that. And skill, you basically said, we're not going to do that stuff anymore. Um, so the whole Southern thing was over. So the entire strategy that the North kind of relied on, um, they were, it was done like the whole like we stall in the north as long like the idea was nc dot gotg and uh co2 we try to stall in the north as long as we can while frt try lumpy skill you pl make lots of progress down south but that was done the whole like the whole idea of them making any progress south was over so at that point we were left sitting in the north like okay so what are we going to do fight goons forever and uh you know that kind of led up into what happened after uh, I think I agree, actually. I mean, X-47 was very important, too. But, um, they're probably kind of close to, to to each other. But both sides learned a lot from U, uh, UEL and uh, UAL. And um, also... I think uh, UALX... Our... I think... Can I just say one thing? I think UALX was a key point in that from that, UA, that point on, there was no way that the Imperial Legacy was going to lose the war. But the war was not decided yeah, that well, that you know imp legacy was going to win the war if, if yeah, that kind of makes sure. sense i'm not sure if that i would agree to that i mean there was still a big chance that imperial legacy could lose but um the the important part was also our strategy was the exact mirror of the north right we were deployed to 6rc not to like crush uh, everyone but to force NC dots to keep their supers around there. If we wouldn't have deployed to 6RC, you guys could have moved your supers down south freely. And then, 100%. And, and then test would have been in real trouble. And what's after test, right? So the it wasn't it wasn't the plan to crush the entire north when we deployed to 6RC. It was more like a uh, you know, let's deploy, force them to stick stick around. And you guys had the same idea actually to keep us to stick around but you know it, we kind of played into each other's strategy a little bit i guess yeah we just executed it better at the end of the day also some people said shots fired i don't think that shots fired like at the end uh, regarding what i said about skill you not wanting to put their members into a position like that i think at the end of the day every uh, every alliance decides 
which way they want to play the game. Some of us like to fight in big wars, and some of us like to play the, I guess you want to call it guerrilla style stuff, right? Exactly. And, yeah. And and that's and that's what skill you thrives at. That's what skill you's good at. They are really good at this guerrilla type warfare. They're really good at, uh, you know, sort of being super annoying and and grabbing every kill of opportunity they can get. De- uh, they can get. Skill you was formed of people who were previously in alliances like Pizza. If some of the people in Twitch had maybe remember them, um, they were very known for being a guerrilla type fighter. So I I don't blame them for not liking. Uh, sitting ten hours in tie dye by, by and basically achieving nothing, right? Like it's not a, it's not something that's bad. It's just basically they realized in that fight, this is Eve. If you wanna fight a huge war like this, and there's no way to, it's or well, I don't want to say there's no way, but it's very hard to play skill use play style and invade somebody like Test at the same time. So, so that just didn't work out for them. And a big component of the ULX stuff that we're not talking about, like past the fight, was the second Keepstar drop in the Hell Camp. I, I think that did more to crush yeah. um, the the uh, of offensive momentum than any of the, the components of the battle. We were still quite outnumbered in both supers and yeah, it was a strong statement for sure. Once you know you start getting Hell Camped for multiple days. You know, and there's now a new Keepstar on grid that you just killed, which was your big victory of the fight, right? It, it really like goes hits home on how how these wars are like truly, I don't want to say fought, but like it, it's incredibly demoralizing. And it's like, oh god, this is this is not about fun. This is about like brutal savagery, and like nobody wants to, you know, especially if you're a, a small gang player and you don't traditionally fight in those kind of battles. That's not fun. Like, you know, it, exactly. it was hard on us. And I can only imagine how hard it would be on the people trying to make offensive progress in that situation. It's all sustained force, right? And it's vastly easier to have that sustained force when you have lots of reinforcements, right? Like a group like Legacy can bring, you know, they, a couple hours from dudes every day is enough to hell camp a system completely. Whereas from a group like NCRPL, that would be literally all of us having to do nothing but sit on eve like one of these is feasible the other is not you know i think that hey camp situation could have actually been their opportunity there because it would go back to more of a smaller scale fight on a daily basis you know what i mean but uh, now imagine after that fight i bet everywhere in the in every alliance or not in every in, uh, in their alliances but like skill you and so on there was the, the 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 mentality going on and uh, fuck tie dye never never tie dye fights again kind of stuff you know and uh, as some people already like like mechanics used to say the worst thing about tie dye fights is the people complaining about the tie dye fights and <laughs> yeah. i think and i think that's very true right there and then this new keepster goes up and that's not one fight that you have to do once no you have to do it three times and that's it's not going to be good for morale then your stuff is trapped yes but it could be an opportunity too but uh doing that grind three more times i think that's probably where most of their dudes say like fuck it it's not worth it and i want to point out that try was in an even bigger uh in a, even a more of a predicament than anyone else because for pl pl and i think skill you they actually extract their subs uh, whereas Tri had, because they had subcap fleets or something, whereas Tri had all their mains in Fax and Carrier. So Tri was 
actually unable to play for the duration of the hell camp until their shit was moved out because they had all their characters stuck on that grid like it wasn't even like for example pl they just kind of they had their supers and titans locked off on their grid which is usually on separate characters and they were still able to do stuff with their main characters um but try wasn't try was completely basically denied playing the game for the duration of the uh the hell camp so that was even even worse for them than for uh, the other alliances so big picture you have a uh... PL and Try and Skill You and other groups, Winter Coalition as well, uh, they actually just they get the objective. They destroy the forward operating base that Test had put down. But two days later, Test puts down a second one while all those guys are still trapped inside the system, not able to play. So that was uh it was almost like this there was the battle and then there was the post battle that was almost as important. So yeah. we, we anchored a Fortizar on grid that morning like so within six hours of the fight so 24 hours later and then i think that night we anchored the keepstar and the keepstar was you know 12 or 1300 kilometers off you know with an insta undock directly into what we're going to call like the death zone of where everybody was logged off and it basically created a situation where we could basically sit our titan and supers on that fortizar in direct range of where everything they have logs in tethered right so it's just like as bad a situation as they were in when the fight ended, it only got worse and worse and worse. And the it took them, like even we only held camp for five days, but it took them two, three, four weeks to get like all of their shit out. And they had this like log in and suicide multiple fleets and multiple everything day after day after day. And it was just like this is so terrible. Like there's just no possible offensive momentum left after that kind of a situation. Yeah, obviously it's always tricky. Whenever you, whenever you feel like an entire alliance or whatever, it's a it's a hyped up fleet. You've get you get like maximum numbers. It's very hard to get the same dudes on again at the same time again on another day. So you will always have like people left there trapped. Obviously, right, so it's a really tricky situation. Okay, so and this is funny because this is all happening at uh, summer which is usually a very calm time for Eve because uh, they say the sun comes out and people go outside and play. And, uh, but not this summer. This year it was, wasn't. Yeah, the, <laughs> maybe the summer was wrong, but this year was definitely conflict all through the summer. And we'll just move forward into August, September uh, area. And this is when, um, I don't know, maybe Pando or Killabee can set us up. How did the North intensify? into a full-blown Keepstar after Keepstar fight? Well, pretty straightforward, right? Like I just said, the Southern Offensive was over. Uh, there was no reason for neither Test nor uh, Goons to keep any major forces down south at this point because Test could pretty much handle whatever was left on her own. If there was anything left, you know, I don't even know if anything happened after that. But um, and, and then Goons were able to focus fully on the North uh, together with uh you know with with all their allies uh, and pretty much all alliances so they deployed pretty much the entirety of the imperium including snuff at the time to uh 6rcq which was their clattering staging and um they were just putting pressure on us on, on a daily basis and um they were now basically the way it, it worked was that we were in a huge disadvantage of being a sort of patchwork coalition right the whole the whole idea of the north was to form a counterpart to the Imperium and, uh, you know, and this is where I really start like 
my own personal opinion is going to start to be a lot like I disagree with a lot of decisions that were made uh, around this time. And uh, I can't really blame the people making the decisions because I was not very active in terms of leading the coalition's defense at the time. I was seeing um, the the big uh, fights, uh, the X-47 fights I did FC and and then both uh, some of the bigger subcap battles. But a lot of the strategic decisions were made by the people. And um, a lot of people we ended up working with were either very inexperienced or very hard to work with. Um, so it was difficult at times to get the objectives done or to you know, make a unified stand. Whereas the Imperium, they were, they have practiced the coordination uh, for basically two years, especially within Goon Swarm. They can field massive numbers and they have the whole, you know, a thousand people on Mumble thing. Whereas we have, uh, you know, we have like 200 people on five different Mumbles and we coordinate through Discord. Uh, we were just a lot worse at coordination than the Imperium was. And I, I think that's effectively what what uh, what made us lose at the end of the day. I have to give a lot of credit to Asher in, uh, for that because he, um, like we had some coordination issues too. Like you always have with big groups and several uh, smaller groups too. Snuff, for example, is using their own comms. We are using our own comms. Then we have some other dudes like uh, Septicemia, like the, the luck guys and so on, like smaller groups that are always doing their own thing, kind of. So um, you always have some coordination issues and it can it can get a little bit stressy, but uh, even if things got a little bit uh, wild, um, Asher always uh, chilled out and uh, you know had everything under control basically and there was no ego clashing. You know what I mean? You know how FC teams work. You, you always have some people who just want to uh, you know be the, the number one or whatever. But we didn't have that, so it was a was a good coordination and a good uh, you know good teamwork. There were a couple uh, a couple of nice fights I want to highlight outside of the big fights that everybody sort of knows about. There were a couple. Uh, there was actually like a little a small period of time uh, up north where before all the keepstar killing started happening where we had a lot of very fun small skirmishes on a day-to-day -day basis it was basically just kendar with sv going out shooting something like shooting co2 fort or something and then i would form up and we would go fight him and there were a couple of really nice small skirmishes there that were without a lot of tie-dye it was like 150 versus 150 sort of thing um at least initially of, of course as soon as the fighting started um, then goons proper would form up and a lot of our allies would form up and then it turned into a huge blob. By that time, the fight was usually over though and we all both just extracted and went home. Um, so that, there was a nice little period there where a lot of uh, smaller skirmishes happened, which was really great. And then after that, it kind of shifted uh, to the whole like uh, Sino uh, jammer killing, which was the main thing we relied on at that point. Our defense strategy was basically, as long as the systems are jammed, we can hold them. Um, but then goons made some major progress. Uh, I think it was during the CSM summit, actually. Uh, I was gone for the CSM summit. And um, during the summit, um, a, a lot of major IHUBs were lost. And uh, that sort of broke the defense of fate because all those IHUBs were gone. We weren't able to jam those key um, staging or keep our systems anymore. And then goons kind of just rolled over them after that. Uh, so yeah, that, that happened. Mm -hmm. Well, in the meantime, they were sweeping under and taking out uh, Keepstars that were, uh, uh, in their view, uh, friendly to the north. So they took out, um, I think it was, 
oh, what was it called? Uh, Kanaka's uh, Snigwaf, I think, or Waffles had uh, one in uh, Kanaka that was destroyed. This would keep stars. And you had a Shadow Cartel in Aski that was destroyed. And then they attacked the, um, you know, my keep star in Oninen. And uh, I think they were going to, I know they were going to attack the one in Mela while they were waiting to kind of break down these eye hubs and then go, you know, resume the attack on the north. Uh, at the time, actually, I was I was told that, you know, well, we're, we were going to take these. I I actually negotiated some a diplomatic surrender um, and was able to extract uh, at least the Onin and uh, Keepstar. But I was told that they were going to take the next four weeks to destroy those two and then come back to the north and and uh, do a bit more. And then I think they wanted to kill CO2 and then they were going to just take a break. So they did say that in advance. But that kind of leads to... Um, what happened to stop the war in the north? Maybe we should hold off on that for just a second and talk about the big battles that did happen. Uh, there were several, right? But the biggest one is probably X-47, L-TAC-Q. Yes. Uh, what happened there? Well, the first the first uh, X-47 fight I thought was actually kind of cool. Well, I mean, as cool as a fight like that can be. Um, we did really well at the start, and then as we shifted out of EUTZ, went into USTZ, I think I made the call too late to stop the fight and sort of extract. But even if I made the call earlier, I think extraction in, in a fight like that is always going to be dirty. Um, but basically, we, uh, we, we jumped in initially. We traded Titans very effectively. I think the first like couple hours of the fight, we actually traded Titans like two or three to one. So we were ahead by quite a bit. But then, um, yeah... Uh, basically, our USTZ is a lot weaker than the Imperium's and Tests is, of course. Um, and basically, as as people from our UTZ unfortunately started logging off, I, I can't really blame them. They have what? jobs, they have families and stuff. Uh, the goons, the Imperium, they kept reinforcing. So we were just starting to lose the battle because we were running out of people while they kept bringing more and more people in. And uh, yeah, basically, I made the call too late to uh, de aggress and, um, and jump out. So by the time the whole fight was over, uh, the first X-47 timer, we, um, we had lost, I think, by, I don't know the exact numbers, I'm sorry, but if anyone has them by any chance, like we lost by a bunch of Titans. We were down a bunch of Titans. I think we killed yeah. like, how many did we kill? Like 26, 27, and we lost like 35 or something like that. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm not sure that. about the numbers. But uh, was... so the the main reason what I think is uh, why you guys traded, especially at the beginning, was that fucking tether bug again. We knew about it kind of, but we uh, uh, you know we had to adjust um, on in the fight itself, and uh, that's another thing like where coordination is very important, obviously, to realize what's actually happening. That was kind of confusing. Uh, I wasn't too aware of that bug to be honest. And then, uh, so for those who might not know what the tetherbug is, um, so basically what happens is those tines are, uh, they're just shooting each other only with key, uh, with doomsdays, right? The thing is though, if you finish the target of your doomsday, then you can instantly tether again, which means in turn, the other side can't doomsday that titan or that titan can decide if he wants to do to to tether up basically losing all locks and you can just tether up and you're safe wasting a lot of our doomsdays at the beginning that's what saved a lot of titans what's important though is 
uh, I'm not sure actually we did that um, on the first, I think on the first time uh, timer only uh, Dark Shines jumped in with a Honey Monster with that Moloch being super hardcore EM thermal tanked because I kept telling him like, come on, come on, you have like, I don't even know, I think it was 230 million EHP on EM thermal. They're never going to doomsday you off the field. You can waste so much DPS. But you guys never called in primary. Lucky for you guys, I guess. Um, but instead, you uh, went for, I think you di didn't even try to hit any of our Titans, but you went for Goon um, Titans. Erebus is obviously. Yeah, Goon buses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on the second time, we actually adjusted and uh, I pushed hard for the EM thermal refit. And we actually refitted all our Titans from in it. And. Uh, Goons went halfway on the Erebuses only. So you, you guys were still able to kill the Goon Erebuses because it wasn't, it wasn't both Hardeners uh, refitted. Um, but at least you primarily a couple of hours, which then helped us against that tether bug. Because if the target doesn't die, you, you, can, you can't tether. You're stuck for yep. like, the full dura duration of the Doomsday. So that enabled us on the second timer at least to have a more consistent killing speed. And we were more prepped for that too. And yeah, but the adjustment on the go on the first time was really good. So, um, yeah, coordination. I, uh, I also tried something new. Uh, I wanted to try it in the first X47 fight. I wanted to try um, Capital Hull Energizers on the DDs, which on paper I thought was like a great idea because you, you get DD volley and you cycle your Hull Energizer and then you tank the DD volley, which is massive if you if you're being primary, even if it only works on half the time exactly. DD volley, right? It, even if it works on only a third, you still manage to basically waste a full DD volley of something, but that didn't work at all. Um, uh, because in tie dye, the, the, the cycling and the timing of the Hull Energizers was just weird. So the Highlanders were incredibly ineffective. The tether bug did work in our advantage quite a bit, and we were able to kill a lot of um, supers and titans that jumped out of X forty seven back into the midpoint that goons used, which was in pure blind. We had PL and some other alliances set up over there with dread bombs and probers to basically kill stuff that jumped back into their midpoint and then disconnected over there, which is also. Uh, and we also had some hunting squads set up in X47 itself to go hunt um, disconnected stuff. We also killed a Moloch that was on a disconnect. Uh, very unfortunate for the dude who lost a Moloch because that's a shitty way to go down. And that's the first one that's been destroyed in the no. game. Yeah. But uh, basically, we managed to, I think we managed to win Iskwar wise. I think we were like a, almost a trillion ahead. Uh, after the whole first X-47 fight was over, but that was only because of the kills we scored in the midpoint, plus some of the disconnect kills we managed to score. So, And obviously, strategically, we lost the objective, which is, at that at that kind of scale, is really the only thing that matters. So the ISK positivity wasn't really, uh, at least on an FC level, we didn't really care too much about that. It was something to show our line members, I guess. But uh, the, the, we were still, like, I was, I was not happy with the result of that fight. Um, and then the second X-47 fight, which is obviously the final timer for our staging Keepstar. In hindsight, now I know, uh, it was just dumb for us to engage there at all. Like, and uh, even though, you know, even though the, 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 obviously the whole propaganda and everything, it would have, it would have blown up pretty hard in our face, but it did anyways. Uh, it, I think the smarter call would have been to just not 
go in there at all because on that one we just got completely destroyed like the second x47 fight our coordination was even for, uh, worse than the first one um we half like and I, I, they're probably the same for goons but the, the server performance was awful like we i think we jumped in initially with like 400 titans and the first time i asked for titan pilots that were uh, able to lock the target that i broadcasted and shit to x up and fleet i got like 40 50 access or something uh so it was like three quarters of a titans weren't really responsive uh and we just got completely destroyed in the second x47 fight it was an incredibly frustrating experience and this is um probably one of the main reasons and i know all the all the haters in Twitch that are going to love this one. But that um, was one of the bigger reasons I decided to take a longer break from even. It wasn't the fact that we lost the fight itself. It was just the it was the realization for me that, because that's sort of what I've always worked towards. I always wanted to be a part of those fights. I, I, I think to me, and I know lots of other people think differently, but um, to me, that's EVE Endgame. To me, the, the huge fights like this, the, these fights that decide over the fate of, alliances over the fate of space you know those that's eve endgame for me and i i kind of realized that that endgame isn't really playable on a on a meaningful level because instead of having to plan just versus my opponent i also have to plan versus the servers which is something that is completely random sometimes the servers work fine sometimes they don't work at all sometimes module a doesn't work sometimes module b doesn't work it's something that's incredibly inconsistent i was like okay so this is the end game i want to play but i can't really reliably play it because the the service can handle it or the, the game's just a little bit off um so that's why i've been thinking about what i really want to do in eve now uh, over the last couple of months which is why i took my most recent break um but yeah that's that's like what x47 was for me I still want to give Matt, like, it's not, I don't want to say the ser we lost because of the service. That's not what I'm saying, by the way. We definitely lost because goons were better. The coordination of the Imperium was a lot better than ours. And um, they've taken all they've learned from the for first X-47 fight and have translated that into immediate action in the second fight within just a week, basically, right? They did a very, very good job at adapting to, uh, to the first fight and they've translated that into, uh, yeah, just winning straight up in the second. It was good. Uh, what's also important again um, in that fight or in any any big fights like that, it's not necessarily that like so and so many Titans die, but it's always that confidence in your super cap numbers. Your super cap guys um, need to be confident in the FC or in in the numbers too. You know, it's you know that's exactly what you said. Then suddenly you you're trying to have X uh, people X up, and you only get like a quarter or whatever of what you would usually get. And uh, yeah, that's what's losing the conflict, like in the end, like that's what what's causing it, basically, right? Yeah. So, um, abyssal space, by the way, Kilby. We'll talk after the show. Um, okay, so that really was the staging ground for NC dot, which is basically the the backbone of the northern resistance at this point, and that really starts a cascade of. Uh, keep stars falling. I think as many as five fell in one day, which was like the setup. It was some setup that way. So what was what was uh, what was the vibe in the north when really uh, the Imperium and Legacy uh, or Imperial Legacy was just rampage rampaging through Fade and Pure Blind? It's Taperium now, by the way. Okay. According to my latest, uh, according to my latest. Uh 
infos. That's what it's called, Tapirium. Basically, Goonswarm and Test are rampaging the North. What's NC feeling or what's the North feeling? Man, people must be tired of my voice at this point. Um, but what was the what was the strategy? What was the outlook? What were they like? Oh my God, what? we're get rolled let me guess then yeah yeah so let's i guess the, the main concern the main concern was probably like how far would we go um i mean how far how long would uh tapirium uh, push and, uh, uh so i had so would... we had some talks with Aerith at the csm summit so i wasn't really worried of them pushing too far to put it that way God damn, but Aerith. uh oh, diplomacy huh Ugh. Go on, go on. But yeah, obviously it was a thought uh, at the start. Um, no, so I mean, at the end of the day, uh, like Jay said, Jay said this earlier on Twitch. I don't know if Jay is still here. I love you, by the way. I think everybody does. Gay for Jay. Um, Jay, Jay, amazingness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jay said this earlier. Uh, the, the, this nice period of subcap skirmishes I talked about earlier. It happened after the X forty seven fight, but before the Do six fight, right? So X forty seven was when we realized, okay, in X forty seven we threw everything we had, quote unquote, everything we had. Um, there's some voices that say that there were some certain alliances in the North that could have contributed more to the fight, but I, I don't think that's realistic. Um, basically, we threw everything we had as the United North into X-47. We lost. So for me, at that point, it was very clear there was not a real way for us to stop them from um, killing the Keepstars. The only thing keeping them from it at the time was those IHUBs that were at the time still running. The only reason they went for X47 first was because we weren't able to online a Sino Jammer uh, in X47 because there were some uh, mistakes that were made and we only held this off for, I don't know, not enough time anyways. Um, and we, yeah, we had just lost the, uh, we sort of knew, okay, so as soon as we lose the Sino Jammer in the system, there was no way we were going to stop them from killing the Keepstar. So we tried to stop them from killing the Sino Jammers as long as possible. And we've had some great fights over those. Some of them were fun. Some of them crashed a the node. Uh, it was really great when Progat was doing a huge uh, uh, Goku fleet and GOTG warped into them at zero. Goku, Goku's threw their bombs. And I think it was like, 250 battleships exploding and it just crashed the node uh so yeah that's uh that was uh was an interesting day yeah from our so, perspective it was super interesting after x47 to see nc dot uh work without super cap support because obviously you guys are used to having that super cap um backup ready to go but you couldn't use that now and it was all subcaps right so it was a very different situation yeah. suddenly. There was a fight that uh, I like. There's some. There was a fight uh, over the Du6 IHUB that was right before or right after the CSM summit. I can't remember, but it was one of the fights that I actually have seen. Um, it was over the Du6 uh, IHUB, and I going straight into the fight. I told all the other FCs uh, on the coalition Discord, all the GOTG FCs, and all the CO2 FCs, and I told them. Hey guys, my suggestion for this fight is not to try to defend the IHUB because I don't think that's going to happen because I've been very frustrated with their ability to defend their IHUB. So I just told them I'm not going to really try here. I'm just going to see if I can get kills. And uh, we ended up um, sort of zooming around with the Munin fleet and just kind of engaging parts of the Imperium fleets. Imperium had multiple fleets in the area. I think in it was in Munins as well. You guys were in Munins. We had right? Munins. And that's also where we started using Stukas way more. 
like i mean we started when we deployed originally to 6 c and we yeah used so we were we were like having a little skirmish with the init munins and then whenever the main blob of the goons would arrive like their mega fleet and their ferox fleet and all those fleets would arrive we would just warp off and engage a, a smaller imperium fleet in another system that's how i just like kind of went around the constellation engaging the fleets i was able to engage and then whenever the main goon blob arrived i would basically disengage and pull off and go somewhere else go engage another fleet somewhere else and at least for me and for the people in my fleet that was very fun you guys um we guys we guys had a good fleet obviously we lost the strategic objective and goons accomplished theirs um but yeah that i think that we made the best out of situ out of the situation we could basically so in terms of NC dot, like I said, we weren't really worried that goons were going to push for tribute next because of agreements that were made. But um, it was still, to me, it was obviously the realization that the whole project of the North, which was kind of like a bit my baby, I, I, I kind of wanted to build that coalition ever since uh, 2016. Um, I, I kind of realized, okay, this project has kind of failed. We, we've tried to build this coalition up and now we've tried our best to defend uh you know in in key fights and it didn't work out so that's kind of when my personal mindset shifted from the whole north um as a coalition towards how can we just be better at snc dot i, I kind of wanted to stop focusing on all the alliances in the north i wanted to put all my effort and all my focus into the alliance itself instead of the allies that we uh, helped out so 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 x47 then kind of signals really the the breakup the beginning of, of the end yeah of the north and that north is the group it's the remnants of the money badgers that had come in and and really kicked uh goon swarm and the imperium out of the north yep pretty much it's, uh, it's the leftovers that's where the dream began for you and then this is kind of like okay i'm going to refocus yeah i had a i had a very big coalition mindset um i had a uh, my whole mind was focused on the entire coalition instead of just NC dot. So we made some decisions and I, I can blame myself for that as well. I've made some decisions um, when I was when I was leading NC for, uh, for a certain time period, um, at least military wise, obviously Vince has always been the leader. Um, I made decisions that were good for the coalition, but bad for NC dot as an alliance. And I now kind of regret that sometimes because I think it would, would have been worth more to put more effort into NC instead of effort into the North. But I've realized that now, and I, I'm, I'm now going to start working towards that, uh, assuming I am allowed to do that. So, yeah. All right. So, so X-47 was significant, at least in your perspective. So yeah, very much. At that point, um, you're talking to Aerith at the CSM Summit, where these are the player representatives that go to Iceland. There's only 10 of them, and they're from you know all over the map. Um, and sort dragon is there too and so this deal comes out of there after after all these keep stars are killed uh, what do you make of the deal in retrospect i think uh, i i completely understand why sword made the deal i don't blame him uh, for making it at all um i think that you have to understand for us in nc dot we didn't really feel that we weren't really depleted from everything that has happened over the last couple of months. NC Dot was still willing to fight. NC Dot was still doing fine in terms of activity and everything. But for Sword Dragon and for GOTG, this has been going on for almost like what, six, seven months now? Because they've been the target all the time. 
together with Horde. When Horde was still in Fade, Horde was the target of Init, but there was already some Goon 6 deployed into pure blind pressuring GOTG. So they've been pressured and they've been denied making money. They've been denied sort of the, the, the normal way to live these days for almost like half a year or even more than half a year. So GOTG was incredibly sort of worn out from all the pressure they've received from the Goon 6 and then now this huge war. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, Sword did what was best for his coalition. And I think that's fine. In his position, that's what he needs to do. Uh, and at the same time, he's trying to throw an umbrella over the North as well by saying for at least a month, nobody would be attacked up there. Yes. So he thinks that, hey, this is a good thing. It's going to benefit us all. We're basically taking a breather, taking a timeout, because if not, we could possibly get steamrolled at this point. Um and I think from his perspective, he thought like whoever doesn't agree with this can be convinced because they'll see that it's good for everybody, including Gobbins and Geminate's, uh, you know, pandemic horde. So that doesn't go as planned. I think he probably just put that in so he doesn't look like a backstabber, which you know, is kind of his uh, thing. <laughs> So uh, it's probably, I don't think he had like the good things in mind or anything with that. Like he's, he's one of these guys who just likes to de make these deals and, you know, do it with political stuff instead of actually fighting. I'm not trying to shit talk him or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably agrees. <laughs> he, he probably agrees. He's more like uh, yeah. the, the shady deal kind of type, which is, so, you know, it's just one way to play the game. It's so so it's a self-preservation kind of thing um, to put that uh, in there. For sure. I, mean, yeah. for sure. I don't I don't think you can say the sort's like against the fight, but he's definitely not for fighting to the end. He is not Gig X. Like I'll definitely agree with that. That's true. That's but I think yeah, you might be man. painting him into a, a bit of a corner where like like he's done some stuff that was kind of ballsy. He's put it out there, like he's he's gotten into fights and he's there when asked and he does what can be done. But he is dealing with, you know and I think all of us look around you like there's a lot of groups where you're like oh, i can ask for just so much from these guys before they're going to start breaking down and that's where like real war fatigue starts yeah the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and a little bit of everything who knows i guess you have to ask so but yeah we weren't happy about that deal at all oh you were initiative was not happy no like what's the worth of affection citadel actually i don't know um, Willie might know. It's like, uh, it's like 40 bill or some shit at this point. I'm not sure. Like like, who's, who's it's like them? 20 bill and they're not oh. like easy to sell, to say the least. 20 bill. See. They, they dropped a so, lot since we sold ours. And and we were ready to go like 100%. Like we actually paced ourselves the, the entire time ready for like uh, not not a sprint but but a marathon of a, of a campaign. And, uh, and then suddenly... Um, you know, this Reddit thread comes up. I mean, I think Bliss knew a little bit before, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. But basically, um, for example, me and Chance, we were both surprised um, that it suddenly, like, there's an end to this. And, uh, you know, we wanted, we wanted to at least, that's at least what, what I said, let's at least threaten the Northern stuff and see what happens. Like, how do they react? Maybe it's a, you know, it's a complete shit show for them and then they completely collapse or whatever. I at least move in and threaten them and then see what happens. But uh, then this thing comes up. Was disappointing for sure. So you were ready to go all the way. You were you were thinking this is oh, going to yeah. go into winter and we're going to finish off the north. 
for sure for sure do you think um other fcs were like that not just an initiative but in uh, the imperium i don't i don't know to be honest i know kenda for example he he doesn't give too much of a fuck he's just you know if there's fights to be had he's all happy uh he doesn't pay too much attention to the to the political stuff and he doesn't hold any grudges to anyone so like why would he care and i think that's probably the case for the rest of the sb squad too and uh, i think asher is the same way so uh, no he, sign he of doesn't... disappointment from them not really i think not, not too much at least not as on the same level as we were disappointed they well, seem I... to be used to being sent around by uh, like a politician you know what i mean yeah yeah right just point us in the direction whatever it is we'll do it exactly uh, that's Demonson. Didn't Snuff break off of uh, Imperium soon after this? It was a little later. Like it was right before, it must have been, I don't know, October or something. It's not that long yeah, ago. So, so yeah, now, that was pretty recent. Yeah, okay. So it's not one, one's not related to the other kind of thing. Like Snuff. No, I don't think so, no. Yeah, okay. I don't think. Probably factored into decision making. I mean, I mean you obviously. don't just break off that kind of a relationship, or at least the public side of it, without a little bit of prep work and a little, you know, making sure that everything's dotted. And you don't want to leave on bad terms. There wasn't. It wasn't like they have a hatred for each other, right? So yeah. you don't just want to rage post on Reddit about it and be like, "All right, we're out." Like that. That would be a very negative situation for Snuff to be in. It puts Snuff into a really neat spot, right? Because Snuff now doesn't longer have to follow the Imperium line. Like, they can make their own decisions to a full extent. I'm not saying they weren't making known decisions before, by the way. But there, I think there is some sort of thing where the Imperium is like, okay, this is the Imperium goal now. And all Imperium members are going in on this, right? And now they don't really have to follow that anymore if they don't want to. But they still have good ties to the Imperium. They have good ties to... Well, I don't know if they have good ties. I don't know really what what's your relationship with Snuff. I mean, you guys work together on the whole try dread bomb thing. Uh, I guess you guys are sort of like working together or something like that. Um, so they they're in a really nice spot now where they have a lot of people they can work with to reinforce their their numbers, their own numbers, and they can set up these you know great uh, these great gangs and stuff. Yeah, the diplomatic uh, dream zone, right? So. That le that deal that was uh, constructed by Aerith and Sort Dragon um, was signed on to. That created a bit of a rift um, because uh, Gobbins and Elo Knight decided to attack Sort Dragon. First, it was stated because of that, because of signing that deal, but also um, it was some content for them to uh, ravage. I think it was Venal area. Um, and initiative has to basically cool their guns and um, a lot of uh, the goon swarm returns to delve and some of them start to come back up to gemini where horde is because horde basically gets disqualified they uh, didn't agree to the deal directly and and this was kind of a funny thing because it seemed like matani said like well if if uh gobbins doesn't want to be part of the deal then let's go attack them but that's not really how it, how it works right you make a treaty in the the treaty stands whether people want to be in it or not um but right after that i think happens um another focus shifts and there is a surprise attack by test that comes in and takes over an area of influence that horde had over high sec Vili, you want to tell us when those plans were made 
Um, I think as soon as the high sec, uh, or not the high sec, the core of the summer war was over, we were definitely considering um, that as a something to do. I, I like it, you know. It, it's funny because we we never mentioned this at all during the uh, during the discussion of the summer war. But one of the most important things for us to do, or one of the weirdest things we had to deal with, was Horde moved their super fleet into Omist during that war, and it was like it was such a weird thing for them to do, where they were trying to be like the the skill yourself hard knocks in our rear kind of thing, like to to really uh, hurt us in our renter regions and stuff like that. And and it was just something that really like pissed us off because it wasn't like something that was actually relevant to the war. It was just truly annoying. And, you know, we were, we were really sour about it. And it's important to remember, like, before this all got underway, we kind of had like this weird agreement with... Uh, with Horde, where we would stay to their business if they stayed out of ours, as we were both kind of the, the smaller guys of the world, I guess you could say. So, as things kind of uh, progressed, I guess you could say, we were uh, certainly less than impressed with Horde, and we wanted a way to pay them back, I guess you could say. So, for us, uh, you know, it was only natural that the best way to do that was to take all of their stuff from HiSec. Which is definitely way more important than just being annoying, right? Like, they might have dinged you a little bit on their income, but holy crap, like that trade hub probably has to make a really pretty penny. Yeah, it's uh it's it's some legit money. There's no doubt about that. Well, the uh I, I think the at least what Pro God said when it was being attacked, uh that that basically that market was being attacked and taken over was that he assumed it was five hundred million a month. Um and so you guys were gonna take it, and you did. You put down a keep star with the first one in high sec and uh, you have been fending off little structures around the area that are trying to undercut your business. Cause you're at like a 0.3% tax or something. And some, the guy that lived there before is not just going to roll over. So he's deployed little uh, Astro houses or whatever at zero tax to undercut you. So you guys yep. clean this. And up. I mean, the thing is he's just effectively throwing his money away, right. To do that. Like he's a, uh... He's not making any money doing that. He's literally just doing it to piss us off. And I mean, you know, it's it, it's a little annoying, but it's not like, you know, we care that much. Like, we're not in perimeter, you know, because we need that for our alliance income. It makes as much as one of our rent regions, but we have multiple renter regions, right? So it's... It's a denial of money to hard, too. Yeah, well, exactly. That was the big thing for us. So... By the way, that was... 500 billion, not 500 million. I had that wrong. Uh, I'm sorry, Billy, to cut you off, but did it pan out? Are you guys making money too, or is it not beside the point? Uh, oh, yeah, we're making tons of money. We're we're well over a trillion this call already. Oh. Well, and so that was, um, again, you know, eVegas has come and gone. The deal has come and gone. Uh, Tess does this uh, amazing thing at the end of the year here, and we think the year is kind of over, and it's been a tremendous year, 2018. And Eve Online, but there's one more surprise left. Uh, all of a sudden, I get—I'll just tell you how I came into it because we covered it live on Talking In Stations. Um, I get some uh, intel saying something's happening right now. Uh, we're in rage. The uh, the wormhole that belongs to Hard Knocks, and this is their home system 
where all their stuff is, or a lot of their stuff, including the first Keepstar ever built. So Panda, what can you tell us what happened there? Oh, well, we covered the, the story uh, very much uh, in the last days, I guess. So I'm not going to go over the details, I guess, but, uh, you know, it was a long, long prepped op. And, uh, yeah, it was more, more like a, a surprise attack. And, uh, you know, it caught people off guard and we burnt the whole thing to the ground. And this is a dramatic thing because normally NullSec doesn't have the staying power to really evict because it takes a while. Uh, a group from wormhole space, yeah. they're usually too small and it's not uh, a high priority. Uh, usually wormholes are used to travel to move a fleet through space to get to a different region in NullSec to fight in, in, in a fight that's usually too far away, but not to invade. Uh, so what do you think the repercussions of this was for uh, wormhole space, um, I don't know. I mean, depends on how they like. It all depends on the wormhole guys how they react. I mean, Laserhawks took down all three of their keepsters. I'm not sure if they actually needed to do that. I mean, we threatened them one day because <laughs> we had that shared static, and we tried to get in, but they rolled it just in time. But it was more like for fun. Like an op like this, you have to have. Um, you have to bring in all those numbers, uh, keep the hype up, keep people coming in. It's different than normal people, right? If you're living in Nolsec, getting these guys in and getting them constantly into fleet, it's not that easy. And uh, doing all that, you need to have um, like that goal, like killing three keepsters. That's a little bit too tough. And then it's not even the biggest loot pinata the game has ever seen. So um, I don't think those keepsters were at risk at all. But, you know. Yeah, but the psychology was like nobody, nobody else is flying ravens really. So as long as you keep an eye on our CTAs, you're probably fine. I don't think that much changed, to be honest. I mean, we just proved that nullsec groups are very well capable of uh, of doing stuff in normal space, and we very well uh, can find some people that know all the mechanics and can deal with whole control and all that stuff. And uh, we are willing to stay uh, in your wormhole for a week if we need to. So yeah, that changed. I think we we got some respect from the wormhole guys. They claim we just blobbed. That's our that's our right too. But uh, yeah, we were kind of disappointed by the wormhole people though. Uh, that they didn't fight back hard enough. Well, yeah. I mean, one fight. I mean, Killer B can probably uh, agree. If you if you're fighting Stugan, you've got. 200 um, uh, mutants and you're fighting a Stuka fleet of 200, you have very well have a chance. And that they didn't reform, uh, it's kind of disappointing. So that happened and Fort Knox is destroyed along with the companion Keepstar and they're destroyed. Huge amount of loot. I think 27,000, 2700 uh, um, station vaults were thrown into the uh, air as loot and people went looting stuff, including some faction four desires that were captured from the drone regions the, in the, you know, in January. So, or sorry, in June. So all that happened. And then at the very end of the year, just a week ago, Triumvirate is caught on a move fleet. And uh, remember the initiative and Triumvirate were, they shared the prize for most influential alliance last year. Um, and they did do a lot of stuff during the year, 
constantly fighting under the umbrellas of I wouldn't say under the umbrellas, but under you know the shadows of these bigger groups, uh, you know, Testa, Goons, and NC and PL. But they were doing fighting the whole time. But Triumvirate ends on a high note by destroying HK essentially, because now it looks like HK is going into Philly Cascade. I'll try. Uh, I'm sorry. In it ends up in a high note and uh, Triumvirate because they lost their leadership ends in kind of a low note because they get caught trying to move. I think they were moving low sec. Yeah, well, well set, uh, well set trap by snuff and uh, test and in it or whoever else was involved. I think goons were there. It was like a. I think the initial tackle was established by snuff. As I think uh, I watched a YouTube video. I think it was them that got the initial tackle, and then. Um, Test was aware that was happening. Uh, basically, as soon as the tackle was established, Pro got started rage pinging. And then uh, within, I think it was within like 10 minutes, there was like 500 people in local. It was like 300 dreads on grid or some ridiculous stuff. It was it was really sick. Yeah, very, very well executed um, trap and trap on there. And yeah, like we talked earlier, it's very uh, bad for an alliance being caught on a move up. It's even worse when you're already in kind of a low spot uh, in terms of activity, morale and everything. Try hasn't really done very well ever since uh the failed invasion on test and uh basically their leaders are gone um more or less so yeah uh it was definitely not very nice to them uh, for them anyways but credit where credit is due right they uh they put the effort into the trap so they deserve to get the kills Billy, were you in on that one no i was I, i've been actually honestly since the uh since the end of the uh, end of the perimeter stuff i i've mostly been kind of taking a break and living life rather than going too hard on the game. It's uh, it's pretty interesting overall how uh, things are when you stay away from Eve for a little bit. So, Oh, yeah? Uh, I, I, I honestly, like, I, I looked at my phone. I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? And then it's like somebody told me the story, <laughs> and I was like, okay, looks good. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty impressive little uh, little go-to-town kind of moment there. Well, some sweet revenge for uh, for Triumvirate attacking you guys, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. In the summer. I, I mean, listen, Triumvirate is one of those groups where they talk a lot of shit. They talk a lot of shit. And, like, it's just one of those groups where it's like, they, they just make you want to punch them, like, over and over and over again. And so there's nothing better than seeing those kind of people get punched in the face. Right, it's like the most rewarding thing you can have. So, you know, when you see them all of a sudden get punched in the face, you're like, "Hell yeah, get punched in the face!" Right? So, I mean, it's it's, it's beautiful, it's stunning. <laughs> all right. That's and so that's where the year ends. Uh, pretty much, uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of intricate stories that are intertwined from. Uh, you know, from World War B and the coalition of the North uh, powers um, to Killer B's uh, post X-47 realization that he's going to put more emphasis on NC instead of the whole coalition. That kind of brings that full circle. And you have Triumvirate wrecking uh, the South for a while and attacking Test, but then also by the end of the year, uh, really getting annihilated as they're trying to move into LOSEC uh, in a very very much a retreating posture. So that's that's 2018. That was a huge year. Is there anything that you guys want to uh, bring up that happened in 2018? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the GOTG Titans 
that we saved. It was kind of fun. It was kind of a highlight. Oh, yeah, what was that? That didn't end up with us killing stuff, but I, I very, very much enjoyed it afterwards too. So it was a, that was a special kind of thing. I felt like. Some kind of rescue mission for the people that you're your enemies of some sort? Some kind of... Well, yeah, I mean, we didn't form up and travel to help GOTG necessarily, if you know what I mean. That, well, that's not the, the main motivating factor there. Obviously, it was uh, BL and uh, PL, and I believe, uh, who was the other one? There was another uh, immunant fleet on field. Horde? Oh, yeah, exactly. Horde immunants, Black Legion immunants, and then there was PL in a Stuka fleet, of all things. And uh, yeah, we actually wanted to fight them. So um, we were looking forward to that fight. And uh, then it all turns out they uh, just abandoned and they didn't even want to fight for their Titan kill. So you could say that was disappointing from some point of view, but it was kind of fun at the same time. It was kind of enjoyable. Uh, you foiled their plans. But you were also, uh, you're not in the league with uh gotg or anybody dark um or sort dragons oh. that was just oh, well when we formed it was just a couple jumps out i think we did the first five jumps or so and in these five first uh first jumps uh we had a discussion on comms on whisper just like what are we gonna do like what's the what's the best thing we can do here and we don't we didn't want GOTD to collapse up north anyway. And that very much felt like a one of these deciding fights. Like if you start losing Titans within your super cap range to uh, not to like some hardcore dread bomb or whatever, that's kind of that's um, a bad message, right? And then suddenly your your dudes or the GOTG dudes would lose confidence and the numbers would go down. And that very much felt like it could be a deciding fight for them. Not sure how much of a deal it would have been in the end, but then we decided to uh, actually go save them. And we actually couldn't reach them because they weren't set up for it. We didn't have like open communications with these guys. <laughs> so like only two jumps out, we actually reached them. And uh, I told them, hey, we're going to show up, but we're not going to shoot your Titans. And I, I bet they were kind of relieved. Well, it worked out for them. Uh, interesting moment in the post post deal uh north all right um if there's any if there's nothing else from you guys uh, about it uh, great job in 2018 especially pando and test uh pando with initiative and villy with test uh we've had a great year this year uh, congratulations we'll see what you guys do next year we will be on talking in stations uh twitch rather than inn twitch next week that'll be the first as we uh start moving to our own channel I want to say thanks to INN for hosting us. I am now resigned from INN and uh, Talking in Stations now separate from INN. We will be doing our own thing and trying to bring you news. And I want to say thanks to all the guys that showed up today. Uh, Killer B, Offender Dresden, Pando, Villy. Yep, thanks for having me. Yep, thanks for having me. And uh, great job. Like over the years, I think a, a lot of people um, forget how long you guys have been around and you've been uh, going. Right. So, like, how long has it been? Two or three years, it's right? It's been. We're coming up on three years. Pretty much solid. I think we've lo we've missed like three shows. I remember yeah. predicting which alliances are gonna die at the last show in 2015. Were you right? <laughs> well, sorta. 
it's oh, yeah. hard to kill Results. an alliance really yeah exactly like it was it was a weird question because it was first like who's gonna who's gonna die and it's like yeah well alliances don't really die but yeah what so, did you yeah, predict going for a while uh well i predicted dunes but that was only because i uh that was at the end of 2015 and that was when we started working on world war b so i kind of wanted to say hey i told you guys afterwards <laughs> yeah just wanted to call that shot <laughs> well uh, it's been great uh, the three years that we've been doing the show uh, we'll try to do more it, it is it is a you know every week every week now twice a week right because we have uh, artemis helping us out in the middle of the week so we're we're trying to do what we can to like get the word out to people about what's going on in this game and we'll continue to do that uh so it's um it's a lot of work, don't doubt it, but it's also a lot of fun. It's great to have the support of FCs like you guys and players from all over the game. Uh, without you guys, really, there's no draw. Like, me talking about EVE is not a draw. You guys talking about EVE is. So I'm, I'm just happy I can supply a space for you guys to come and uh, do it with a reliable audience. We get like 3,200, 3,500 uh, listeners to the podcast every week. So the hey. live audience is just a part of it. And big thanks for for the award, obviously. Like, who knows how much influence anyone had? So it's very hard to measure, obviously. Um, but I'm just happy uh, any of the FCs got it. You know, because uh, if if you don't undock, there's nothing happening. So yeah, right. You guys are the ones doing. Amen. Amen majority of the majority of the work uh, that gets people out doing things that are visible to other people. All right, so um, I want to say thanks again to everyone. Now remember, this is a special plea to you guys. If you like these shows and you want to keep them going, go to talkinginstations.com and uh, pledge some contributions through Patreon. We would really appreciate it. We've lost some contributions uh, recently because people have just supported the show uh, for a long time by themselves and they need help supporting the show. So thank you guys in advance for doing that. And that's all we have time for this week. So we'll see you next week on Talking Stations.